episode 272 of Mitch Unfiltered. Yes, we've got coaches going to Alabama. Yes, we've got transfer portals. Yeah, we've got NFL teams looking for head coaches. Yeah, we've got lots to talk about. But the important things, the two important things that we should lead the the tease segment with, yeah. either Grandma Cornell, <laughs> yeah. people in our audience who want to know about the Seahawks Ooh. coaching search, want to know about Kalen DeBoer and Jed Fish, they need to know about Grandma Cornell. Or <laughs> I have a, a Sunday, this is why maybe none of us should ever bet on sports again story. Oh, boy. Those I love. Like a, just a bad beat or just... It doesn't really make sense when I say this, and it doesn't make sense when ESPN does it because you know that everybody on the other side wins. Right, that's right. right yeah, right? It's not a bad beat for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> half, of the, half of the world wins on it's these the things. the greatest win of their right. life most but of the time. But we don't focus on that. <laughs> no, we don't. So do you want to start with Grandma Cornell, who found out that her... 12-year-old, right? 11-year-old. Yeah. Probably fifth grade. So, yeah, fifth 11, grade. 12. Yeah, yeah. Your father's mother. Yep. Original season ticket holder of the Seattle Seahawks. That's right. Living in Tacoma. I said life. to you before we started the show, mm-hmm. you made a comment about how, God, it looks like they ramp up hitting in the National Football League. Guys are getting popped yeah. in these playoff games. And I asked you, doesn't it even hurt like three times more in the cold? Yeah. And you're oh. like, definitely, even when a soccer ball would hit me, yeah. when I was a kid in the yeah. cold, it would hurt. And I was like, you played soccer? Four years of soccer for Hotshot. <laughs> That's right. You? I did goalie mostly, but yes. Really? Well, have you seen me? <laughs> I don't look you like Beckham with fa- my sh- You always tell me how fast you were. <laughs> at how 11? You're- yeah. yeah. I don't look like Beckham with my shirt off. No. Back at 11. No. Yeah. So a supportive grandmother. That's right. Who smoked cigarettes. How big was she? How tall was she? Oh, 5'1", 101, maybe? 5'1", 101. Yeah. Loves the Seahawks. Season ticket holder from day one. Kind of kicked off my love of football, actually. Finds out that her lovable grandson, Who her, she, yeah, she her, loves. her round grandson, <laughs> yeah. is playing soccer, and she says what? Soccer? You played soccer? You're too fat to play soccer. <laughs> I kid you not. You're too fat to play soccer. She probably wasn't wrong, by the way. <laughs> She said, leave that to the the Brits with the short shorts and, you know, that's not for you. She may not have been wrong, but she was really wrong. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What grandmother? (laughs) I'm not even going to ask the question, the obvious question. Yeah, she She really told you to your face you're too fat to play soccer? Too fat to play. Yeah, she could not hold back. (laughs) Too fat to play soccer. Like, like, but not even tried to make a joke, just kind of perplexed. Hey, sorry, you're too fat to play. Why are you playing soccer? Oh, my God. She loved football, was a season ticket holder from 76. Wow. I don't know why I'm picturing Mama Blue, but she's obviously much smaller yeah, than Mama tiny Blue. Yeah, lo- tiny. If anyone can remember those cigarettes, they were called Moore, M-O-R. No. I think they were brown. No. Smoked those, drank, uh, worked at the... Let's put it this way. Was I- she drunk when she called her grandson fat, too fat to play soccer? It's Christmas, probably. <laughs> I mean, who isn't? <laughs> Put it this way. I never stayed the night you at grandma. You think Andy Reid's grandmother told him <laughs> yeah. he's too fat to play soccer? No question. I, I she never thought it. She didn't say it. I never stayed the night at Grandma Cornell's oh, house God. one time that in my life so as a kid. Funny. Put it that way. Grandma Cornell. Yeah, never, never. I once overheard my mom saying to my father, those kids aren't staying there. She's probably going to leave him with a bag of candy and a handgun. Why do I think? Yes, that if you and Rob Tepper yeah. had put Grandma Cornell on the show. Oh, she would have been great, yeah. Yeah, she wasn't alive David, then, but... You she, think David Letterman's mom is good? 
Grandma Cornell, if she were alive, oh my God! I mean, how how, how many years did she live with those? She passed more around cigarettes around ninety three or ninety two. She made it to ninety two or 92? no? No, I'm sorry, oh, nineteen ninety no. oh, three okay. or nineteen ninety two. How old was she when she? It's a good. She didn't. Yeah, probably seventies. I, I would imagine yeah. not too late. But wow. my dad's got stories of you know her and he would go to a bar. And she would just <laughs> wait a second. Her and he would go to a bar. Well, yes. yeah, he'd go visit her because she moved to Pasadena okay. eventually. And, okay. Or it was Glendale. All right. So she lived in Glendale. They would they went to a bar and this guy was like bragging about some acting role. He's, and she just told him to shut the F up. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear you. Everyone here is an effing actor. Everyone's gonna be famous. Just shut the F up. And my my dad's six one three thirty, and he's like, oh, I don't want to fight this guy. I don't, I don't need this. Your dad was six one three thirty. Yeah, he was huge. Considering he Came from her, shocking, but yeah, big guy. But he was just like, why are you oh. starting fights here? I don't want this. There's but. a reason that Mitch Unfiltered has six <laughs> listeners. Yeah. No Grandma Cornell. She was great, man. She was awesome. So do you know who I root for in the NBA? Yes, I think I do. Yeah. Clipsies? Yeah, I root for the Clippers. Yeah. I love the Clippers. I root for the Clippers. I follow them pretty closely. I'm rooting for them to, to do something good this year before they go into their new arena. Okay. And I noticed that they played on Sunday. Okay. They always seem to play. It's one of the reasons they're building a new arena because their owner and their organization fit to be tied that the NBA always puts them in that building on Sundays. They always cater to the Lakers and the Los Angeles Kings. You know, they're yeah, all, yeah. all those teams are, are tenants of that one building at LA Live. They, crypto Arena crypto. used to be the com, Staples yeah. Center, right? So one of the reasons they wanted, one of the many reasons they wanted their, their own arena is because they always get placed on Sunday afternoons during football season. Right. Like at noon, they're yeah. playing games. That's when the NBA plays their games. So they played a game on Sunday. Okay. And nobody cares about this game. This game, I'm probably the only person outside of the Los Angeles Clippers <laughs> and the Brooklyn Nets yeah. who even know this game was played on the Sunday that we're recording. Yeah, family members of the players are watching the play. They're watching yeah. the NFL. They're watching, you know, they don't yeah, even Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. put on my phone. I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. They're playing. With five minutes to go, here was the score. I want you to do some math uh, for me. why? This is my why we should never make a wager, <laughs> oh, sports wager again. The score with five minutes to go was the lowly Nets... 114, the Clippers 103. Okay. The Clippers are at home on a hot streak, one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and they're trailing by 11, at which time Mitch Levy, of course, is curious. Curiosity killed the cat. Mm -hmm. I had to find out what the spread of this game was yeah. to find out that the Nets are nine and a half point underdogs, and they're up by 11 with five minutes to go. So how many are they up by if you have them plus nine and a half? We got 20 and a half. You're up 20 and a half. Yeah. The next 22 points scored by the Clippers in the game ends. <laughs> Is that right? God, sports. <laughs> 20 Amazing. Two That's nothing. unreal. Over the last five minutes, last 22 not points. Not one point. Not one point. God. And they end up winning 125 to 114. Wow. And cover the spread. That's unbelievable. So if you had the Nets plus nine and <laughs> oh, a half. You're loving your with bet. With five minutes to go, you're up 20 and a half. Yeah, right. And they score the last 22. In fact, you lose. when you said they were kind of hot, the Clippers, I was thinking, yeah. well, it's kind of sad. That streak came to an end. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. This is the reason. Yeah. Don't ever make a wager. I think we all should stop. Now, we won't. We won't. Because we can't. And we won't even like... <laughs> we can't. I found myself rooting for that Iowa basketball player, uh, Caitlin. I can't remember her last Clark. name. Clark! 
So I was watching her. She's great. She got clobbered running off the court today. Did you see that? I didn't see it Sunday. I know they they lost, but yeah, they, the the fans ran onto the floor, yeah. spilled onto the floor. Yeah, they're number two game. in the country. They're yeah. number two in the country. And as she was racing to get off the floor, yeah. some fan didn't see her, oh, and they ran. Gosh, just a a head on collision. She okay? I mean, did she get she, up? She went down. Oh. They they brought over medical people. It turned. I, it was a little bit okay. There was a little bit of drama in there. I think. But I, was, I shouldn't say that because everybody loves Caitlin Clark. I was laying in bed just, I'm going to watch this yeah. game and I'm going to root for her. I have yeah. no love for Ohio State. Yeah. Like, no matter who I root for. He loses. I'm, I'm, I don't loses. even care about Iowa. Loses. No matter who I because slightly root for, Because you're a loser and Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> is a loser. I've gone through this with you before. God. Every team I've oh. rooted for for the last three weeks. Yeah. Going back to the last couple of games that the Seahawks played yeah. and all the Dolphins games that I went to and every game that I needed to have. Except for Washington in the Sugar Bowl. That was it. Yeah. And Washington in the Pac-12. But that goes back to... The Sugar Bowl, you had to sweat it out. I mean, Sugar Bowl wasn't easy. I mean... Wasn't easy. (laughs) They almost lost on a guy getting hurt, for fuck's sake. This is why I've I've moved to politics, and I got a big bet on Ron DeSantis winning the presidency. (laughs) You're out. You're like Kramer in the masturbation bet. You're out. I'm out. I'm out out of your little bet. I'm out. I'm out. Oh, All right. God. Anyway, it's episode 272, and I'm glad that you bring up the whole political angle. Okay. Because episode 272, that area code, I didn't realize it because I always thought of the area code in the city that I'm going to bring up as 717. When I was growing up, it was 717. But apparently, it's a newish area code. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hello. Wow. Don't you have family there? Do I have family Yeah, that's what there? I thought. Do yeah. I have family Your there? Your dad's from Scranton. Believe it. Yeah. At- the Levies. Oh, they are all of them. My mom, everybody. Wow. Coal Miners Town. Yeah. Northeast corner of Pennsylvania. Let me let me just put it this way. I'm not here if it wasn't for Area Code 272. <laughs> There's no one Mitch unfiltered. Yeah. There's no Mitch in the morning. There's no Mitch in the midday. There's no Mitch if it wasn't for Scranton, Pennsylvania. And yeah, I can highlight people like Joe Biden, mm. the president of the United States, who was born. Yep. In 1942 in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I could throw at you Hugh Rodham. You know that last name. Who grew up in Scranton. The father of Hillary Rodham. Clinton. Yes. yes. Who grew up in Scranton. The father grew up in Scranton. Mm-hmm. I can hit you with P.J. Carlissimo. Oh, I like P.J. Scranton's sure. own part of P.J. Carlissimo. Hall of Fame offensive lineman. You might remember Mike Munchak. Oh, very good. Yeah. Oilers. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I did very, watch sports. I think maybe. I think maybe for Earl Campbell, maybe a little after Earl Campbell. Campbell. After Earl Campbell. Jerry McNamara, does that name mean anything to you? Yeah, it sounds familiar. Star of the Syracuse Orange in 2003 with Carmelo Anthony that won a national championship. G-Mac. I can remember him. Like a little point guard. Little white point guard. Yeah, I remember him. Sure. Scranton, Pennsylvania. I can hit you with all those guys. How about the home of the office? No? I can do the office if you want to do the office. But I prefer to focus on two, as they call, Scrantonians. (laughs) Do they really? Yeah. Scrantonian. July 27th, 1933. Whoa. Robert Stanley Levy was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. August 14th, 1934. Where do you hear this name? Seal Nagelberg mm-hmm. was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> the two would start dating as 10th grader and 9th grader at Scranton Central High School. Wow. And there you go. There was no break for them? No break. Started in 10th grade, 9th grade. That's unbelievable. 10th grade, 9th grade, until he died. That's amazing. In 2014. Huh. Yeah. So do the math. Yeah, no kidding. So that's like, I would say about 1948 
yeah. to 2014. That's impressive. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yes. Nice. So there you go. Episode 272, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Little coal miners town. And you didn't even know that it was going to be Scranton because you thought, what was the other one you said it was? The other, there was another... Well, it was always seven one seven when so, I was when I was a kid. I always went to Scranton. We always went in the summertime to Scranton to see all of our uncles. And I still have loads of family in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I don't I, I don't really like that the office was really yeah. It I brings think, attention to that cool yeah. little really. I thought you would think that's cool. I'd no? rather be Levy and Sun Shoes since nineteen hundred. <laughs> oh, four <laughs> generations of Levy's. Is it still going? The no, old no, oh, it's we out. out of business a long time ago. So. I typed in 272, and it says Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, we're not getting a 717, so it's good that you get it out of the way here. <laughs> God, not if Grandma to... Cornell has oh, anything God. to do with it. She's already told me oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> Mitch Unfiltered can be heard everywhere where podcasts are found, Apple, Spotify, on all major podcast platforms. We ask that you subscribe, rate, and review us. If you're new, maybe tell a few friends. One long-form show per week. You're listening to it with all the guests. It's available to everyone. And then we do a handful of shorter shows throughout the week for what we call Mitch Unfiltered Patrons. You can become a patron $5 a month at MitchUnfiltered.com. Guests on this episode, 272. After our first segment where we go back over whatever's going on at Washington and whatever's going on with the Seattle Seahawks. Guests on this episode, 272. Rick Neuheisel. Was supposed to be finished for the season, not to hear from Mitch Levy for the next several months until college football season rolls around. Not so fast, my friend. Yeah. We need to know his thoughts on DeBoer leaving. Did he do it the right way? Is he going to win at Alabama? His friend, New Isles friend, Jed Fish, coached with him. Yeah. Is now the coach of the UW Huskies. I want to know what Neuheisel thinks of that. What are his chances of winning big? We've got lots to discuss with Rick Neuheisel. Great. One more time. So, like, the, the lighters came out for an encore, so he's coming back on stage. Yeah, yeah. One last time on episode 270. Now it's the cell phone flashlights. But, yes, I appreciate the lighter reference. Thank you <laughs> they for don't that. Do lighters I anymore. don't think anyone smokes anymore, now. Christian Capel. On Montlake.com, all the juicy behind-the-scenes information as he covered how it went down with Kalen DeBoer and Jed Fish. He'll give you some some scoops. And the Mariners' note table returns to this episode 272. Jason Churchill and Joe Doyle and I. Everything that the Mariners have done this offseason and everything that the Mariners haven't done this offseason, <laughs> which might be more. Uh, Blake Snell, maybe? Yeah. Some people are wondering... Could it end up being the, the Seattle Mariners by default? Pitchers and catchers are going to report in like three weeks. Crazy. We're back to baseball. Season. So crazy. Yeah. I'll be in Vegas in three weeks, and maybe I'll drive over to pitchers and catchers and take a look-see. Just don't bet on the New Jersey Mets. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Episode 272 officially begins after a quick message from our partners. Like Evergreen Golf Call in 2024, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Daniels Broiler had a great 2023 with lots of highlights, including a massive remodel of the original Daniels Leshy on the shores of Lake Water. 
Washington, a birthday, anniversary, or any special occasion at Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses. John Waterstrat Fireside Home Solutions with a beautifully remodeled flagship showroom in Bellevue and now stretching across the entire state to eastern Washington. Fireplaces, gas, wood burning, garage doors, firesidehomesolutions.com. Zeke's Pizza loves its connection with sports and local teams, especially Kraken pregame and postgame celebrations down in Belltown and Pigskin Town. 10, the code during the NFL playoffs for $10 off of all orders of $40 or more. Download the terrific Zeke's Pizza app. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage, Jordan Flowers and his team, mortgage rates are falling and Jordan's group ready to help all of us take advantage with really creative solutions. Jordan's personal phone number, 425-890-2957. This is episode 272, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, Hotshot Scott, episode 272 now is officially underway. If you don't like Scranton, we can do Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Hello, we can do Williamsport. Oh, sure, yeah. I think there's some area code 272, at least what I can tell. It's about an hour and 45 minutes from Scranton. Yeah, Williamsport. I only, I only know Scranton, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but Williamsport. I, I didn't right? know Williamsport was the actual Little League World Series home for, like, softball as well, so, like, if there was some kind of issue with softball, they would call back to Williamsport. It's not just where they play the games. I didn't know that. There's like a but they don't play the softball games. Correct, there, but it but it's it all just has to start in Williamsport, which I didn't know until we had our run. How did Hendersonville or where, where did where do you guys Asheville? Where did the softball Greenville? Greenville. Yeah. How did softball end up in Greenville? Do we know that? It's a great question because it was in Portland for years. Oh, it was. Which would have been awesome, right? Really, the Little League yeah. Softball World Series was in Portland at the Alpen Rose Farm. You ever seen Alpen Rose no. milk? Or I don't know. No. They make dairy products, ice no. cream, the whole thing. No. It used to be down there, and I don't know. It moved like three or four years ago, and I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> but I'll tell you that facility was top notch. I mean, it was. Which one are we talking? Portland? Greenville. Greenville. So I, I get it. Well, it better be. They got the facility for it. It better be. They'll lose the thing. We'll, <laughs> we'll take the thing right away from them. That's right. So the Seahawks and John Schneider are stepping up their search for the next head coach. We're starting to, we're starting to hear who's getting second interviews. Mm. Hey, by the way, after we recorded the short episode 271, the emergency episode of Mitch Unfiltered, yeah. where I said the obvious candidate is right in front of you, don't like... Don't bend over backwards to not pick him. Yeah. How did Dan Quinn do in that playoff game right after I <laughs> yeah. endorsed him? I mean, it doesn't mean everything, though, right? I mean, everybody's ice cold now on Dan Quinn. Which is silly. He did get a second interview. He's going to interview for a second time okay. with, uh, with John Schneider. So, yeah, he's obviously still very much in the mix. but And very available after that game. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very much Should so. one game no, really it's so matter? Stupid. I mean, just, can Bill Belichick still coach a football team, even though he didn't have a great season? Of course. He, by the way, you see the picture of him at Chick-fil-A in Manhattan in a suit? Yeah, I saw <laughs> that, but there's some thought that maybe that was an old picture. Oh, really? Okay. I think they said it was downtown Atlanta, or was it Manhattan? Yeah, yeah. I just saw that picture. Him in a suit at Chick-fil-A is just classic. I just thought that was so funny. I don't know why. Fresh off an interview. <sighs> Social media has become tail numbers and ref- tracking planes. Yeah, I know. We're it's watching silly. guys going to Chick-fil-A, and we've got uh, my man having, Giamatti. A, having a burger in and in out yeah. with, his, with his golden globe on the, on the desk. The privacy's the over. Those days are over. I guess so. Yeah. Well, the flip side works on Dan Quinn, you know, because if one game ruined the Dan Quinn candidacy, which I think is kind of ridiculous, but... Everybody seems to be now cold on Dan Quinn after the Cowboys took a powder in the first round of the playoffs. The flavor of the moment here in Seattle, not everybody, not every Seahawks fan, but Seahawks fans are gaga over this guy, Mike McDonald, and not the guy who's saying what a fool believes. Damn it. Okay, okay. different okay. Mike McDonald. Not in love anymore. Oh, no. I know that you, you, oh. you're more prepared to talk about that Mike McDonald. I can do an hour right I now. I am on this Mike McDonald. <laughs> But the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator is yeah. a young guy by the name of Mike McDonald, and he went out on Saturday, and his Ravens shut down another Seahawks candidate, Bobby Slowitz, the offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans, and the Ravens' defense has been top-notch, and they they buried Kyle Shanahan's 49ers, yeah. and they've beaten everybody, all the high-powered offenses, Mike McDaniel down in Miami. So the guy that everybody now wants yeah. is Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator of the Ravens, to be your next Seahawks coach. Until the Niners drop 35 on him and then, eh, maybe not. <laughs> Where's Dan Quinn? Is he around still? <laughs> well, he's got to get uh, past the uh, the next game first. Yeah, 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 right, right. It looks like the Ravens are the best team in the NFL, right? Yeah, I mean, it looks and like they always have a good defense and this guy's credited. Now, before we get all caught up, yeah. do I need to list all the defense, the great defensive coordinators who are absolute flops as head coaches? Do you want me to go through that? You don't need me to go through that I list. don't, no. There are plenty. I'm sure. Just because he's a great defensive coordinator or he's doing a great job in yep. Baltimore doesn't mean he'll be a great head coach. Do you have, when I gave you Dan Quinn, obviously another defensive guy, do you have a preference as a Seahawks fan, offensive guy versus defensive guy, or don't you care? I don't really buy into that. I, just, I don't I don't feel a head coach focuses more or is better at one or the other because he hires coordinators does. I just I think that's something fans talk about. I don't think just because Pete Carroll considers himself a defensive guy that he's way better at defense than offense. So, no, it doesn't. I don't have a preference. I You kind of made sense for once in your life about uh, Dan Quinn. I, I was thinking about his relationship with John Schneider, but he's a defensive guy. He is. And most. Most of these organizations are looking for innovative offensive guys, but go ahead. But I, it's a good fit. The Quinn thing seems like a good just, fit here. It does seem like a good fit, yeah. Especially if Schneider's like the guy, like he's the guy, right? I mean, he's making all the decisions. Quinn will probably be cool with that and live with that and just go coach. And I don't know that Seahawks fans are going to get excited over Dan Quinn, and I don't mean it to be just about that Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers right. playoff game. But from what I can tell, just the little that I read. I don't gather that if you did a poll on Twitter, you'd get a lot of Dan Quinn support, which is a little bit surprising to me because I think he makes a lot of sense. Now, he is a defensive guy, and there is one way of looking at this thing that might tend to push you to the offensive side of the football. Okay. Think of it this way. In 2024, the league is about offense. Yeah. 
Obviously, we want to have a great defense. Everybody wants to have a great defense. And it's fun rooting for a team like the Chicago Bears in 1985. Yep. But the game right now is high scoring, high flying. It's a passing game. Runners have become a little bit obsolete running backs. Yeah. It's an offense. It's a young offensive league. So teams have been more excited about hiring offense, young offensive guys than Mike McDonald. Right. If you hire an offensive guy, he probably calls the plays like Kyle Shanahan calls the plays like Mike McDaniel in Miami calls the plays like Andy Reid, the offensive head coaches. Mike Holmgren came in here and he called the plays. Yep. If you hire an offensive guru, he's going to come in here and he's going to call the plays. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's going to hire, hopefully, a really good defensive coordinator to handle the defense. If the offense is good and you hit on that choice, you hit on that head coach choice and he comes in here and the offense flourishes mm -hmm. and they have enough of a defense to get by and win games, you've got something special probably for the next three, four, five, six years, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, now flip it around. If you hire Mike McDonald, yep. he comes in here, hopefully makes the defense of the Seattle Seahawks better right away. He's got to hire an offensive coordinator, right? Mm -hmm. An offensive coordinator that he thinks is innovative and exciting and new and fresh is going to come in and run this offense and call the plays and revolutionize this offense. And if you if you are a winner, that offensive coordinator will be good, right? Yep. But then what's going to happen? I don't know. He's going to get a head coaching job somewhere else. Oh, he's going to leave. He's, gonna, he's totally going to leave. I thought because Dick and, and Buddy Ryan used to butt heads because, like, who's in, who's in charge of this nah. effing team? You're not worried about that. No, You're worried no, about no. Him. Well, like Dan Quinn got plucked away after if, the Super Bowl. If Mike McDonald yeah, comes into this situation and hires a young offensive coordinator so you and, and you're hoping the <laughs> offensive coordinator comes in here and is great, yeah. if he is great, he's gone. he lasts one year and then he's the head coach somewhere else. As opposed to if the offensive coordinator comes in and is calling the plays and is great, yeah. he's the head coach. Now, you might lose the defensive coordinator, right. but your play caller who, who has hit is your head coach and he's not going anywhere. Make sense? It does. So there's the complication that, as I see it, potentially of hiring a defensive guy that we hope brings in a great young offensive coordinator, but then if he's great, he leaves. Am I going to lose sleep over the Seahawks having a great offense and losing their no, core? I'm just saying that. <laughs> I mean, let that happen first. I'm just saying that if you had a choice. Yeah, right. If you have a choice, I see what you're saying. You, yeah. If you had a choice of losing the defensive coordinator that the offensive guy who calls the play, who's the head coach, hires yep. versus offensive coordinator who's got you scoring 30, 35 points a game, yeah. you got one year of, of fun and then he's off to the next job, right? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So tell me, tell me who to root for then. Tell me which coach to root for That's in that question. scenario. Who's who's Mitch Levy hiring? Well, I was hiring Dan Quinn as a defensive guy. <laughs> you talked me into it. Now you're out. <laughs> it would be nice to see a good defense in Seattle again. Yeah. If this were 1989 mm -hmm. and a defensive guy came in here and you had a great defense again, you could probably win the Super Bowl with that. Right. Thirty years later, the final four of the National Football League have. Patrick Mahomes is on the team. Yeah. Lamar Jackson is on the team. Purdy. Pur uh, forget Purdy. Yeah. How about uh, McCaffrey right, and Debo yeah. Samuel? Yeah. They're on the team. And the Lions are an offensive team. Yeah. Their offensive coordinator is getting ready to leave. All these offensive coordinators <laughs> right. are getting ready to leave. You need to have a good offense to win big, I think, in the net, or at least difference makers to win in the National Football League. It's shocking that the offensive coordinator now for the Seahawks can't 
do better with the pieces he has. He's got some pretty good pieces in place with Lockett and Metcalf. And well, I know we've been talking about it for 17 weeks, but just kind of looking back on it. Can we not discuss him having been away from it? But but I'm I'm saying it could be attractive to an offensive, a good offensive coordinator to come in. Like, look who you're working with here. You got some dogs out there on offense. So I'm curious to see who he hires, but I think it's a pretty good job. And if this I'm talking the head coaching job or just no, I'm talking about the offensive coordinator. If you get somebody who's remotely creative out there with with these pieces i think they could score a lot yeah and then he's gone the next year to the next job are you paying attention to twitter and the transfer portal and who's leaving tuscaloosa and who's leaving seattle washington who's staying in arizona who's staying in arizona (laughs) and who's leaving are you watching this every single minute are you are you wrapped up in this it's like the worst case scenario for the Huskies right now, right? Every all the Huskies leave, and you expect <laughs> the Arizona players to do it, but they're staying. So we got who's coming? All of our guys left, but no one's coming. Well, there's there been one couple, running back that came. I a saw. running back came. A 2024 quarterback, four-star quarterback who was going to Arizona came. Okay. I think a defensive back who either played for Arizona last year or Indiana, a defensive back who's got ties to Arizona is coming. A okay. very good defensive back. But yes, you're right. For the most part, Washington is in the negative, negative, yeah. negative. But not as bad as the University of Alabama, who's lo- who's losing everybody. Yeah. And I think Alabama Crimson Tide boosters and fans, if they're being honest, are getting nervous. They should. It's be. early, but they're getting nervous. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got Kalen DeBoer, and I, you know, I tried not to be the guy who piles on Kalen DeBoer. Everybody's piling on Kalen DeBoer. I said to you in that episode that we did last week. It's hard for me to really crucify a guy who took the Alabama head coaching job at $11 million right. a year. What are you going to Took do? over for Nick Saban. Now, everybody wants to just kill the guy for saying everything that he said and going about it the way he went about it and maybe not signing the contract he knew as far back as November and all that stuff that we'll talk to New Eisel about and Christian Capel about. But I've tried to stay away from the, the low-hanging fruit of kicking um, Kalen DeBoer. But... But <laughs> having but, said that, having, having said, said that, that, having said that, you realize that just about every Alabama recruit, five stars, four stars, three stars in the class of 2024, every one of them that has signed to go to Alabama has now entered the tran. He has lost almost every single national letter of intent guy that was going to Alabama. It's not surprising. It's not me piling on Kalen DeBoer, but there's a big difference in the coaching hierarchy of Nick Saban and Kalen. If, yeah. If, if Nick Saban yeah. comes to your, your parents' house and says, I want you to play for me, that holds a lot more water than Kalen DeBoer wanting you. So I get it. Yeah. Look, this isn't who I signed on to play for. Yeah. I, I get it. Well, I do too. I think what annoys me about it is he was asked about, are you concerned with all these guys that are leaving, all these players that are leaving, all these recruits that are leaving? And he made some offhanded remark like, no, I expected it. It was far worse when I got to Seattle a couple of years ago. And everybody here was like, what? What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Do I need to read off the list of Roma Dunze and and all the great players that helped you win the last two years that stayed? Yeah. It was a crap organization, and they still stayed and gave you a chance and played for you, and you turn around three years later or two years later and say, oh, more people left to Washington. That was a <laughs> reprehensible That's remark. That's the one that did it, huh? Well, no, I mean, I, I, mean I, got, I, got, I can't let that one go. Yeah. And then there's the, and a lot of people would say, Mitch, what does it matter? He didn't write a note. He didn't write the standard, hey, thank you to you Dub fans. Bye, Seattle. Yeah. It was a great two years. 
I promise you that I never intended to leave, but when you get an opportunity, you know, whatever it is, right. his offensive coordinator yep. wrote that that letter. Jed Fish wrote that letter to the University of Arizona. Everybody writes that letter. Yep. I don't know why it bothers me that the guy got up and left four days after a national championship, which I don't blame him for because he went to Alabama, yep. and it's hard not to go to Alabama. And then there was the the recording of how the last meeting went. Did you listen to that with yeah. his team? That was a little shaky. So now I'm trying not to pile on Kalen DeBoer, but he's giving me reasons now to really not like him and root against Alabama. He's giving me reasons. The biggest one is what I just said. The comment that, oh my God, it was much worse. The defections were much worse when I got to Washington two, two, three years ago than they were. That's the biggest amount of bullshit since bullshit was invented. Okay? <laughs> That's saying something. Okay? Wow. It is. He's trying to tell all these boosters, like, look, I've been through this. It was worse in Seattle. Don't worse you worry. Worse in Seattle. I know. It, that offensive line won an award for the, the best offense. Did they all come in no, from the portal? No. Every one of them no. came in in the portal? So many of them stayed. I know they did. Yeah. So many of them stayed. Yep. So now we get to just kind of root against Alabama. Is that is that what's going to happen now? We, we get to look at Alabama the way we well, look at the Broncos with Russell Wilson. I know there's a lot of Husky fans will be doing that. <laughs> Husky fans, we just I, don't get their first round draft choice. That's that's, that's the problem. Yes, but I don't know what Husky fans are going to love more: the Huskies winning or Alabama losing. I think it's a. I think it's fifty. It's kind of the Cougar point. thing, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, what would you rather? Everybody have? told me when I came to town, Mitch, you're going to see this. Cougar fans that are at a football game watching Washington State play actually get more excited when the announcement comes on their loudspeaker that Washington lost <laughs> yeah. than what's going on in front of them. At least that's what people told College football is going to be fun. I know people hate the portal. They think it's ruining college football. It's but crazy, man. It's going to be kind of fun next year to see where, where are all those Alabama kids going to land. They're going to make other programs better, and I can't wait to see all this. There's no Husky football. Play. You need to play both ways. Yeah, right. That's I mean, there's right. no players. <laughs> That's right. Jed Fish has no play. I don't know how he's going to fill out a roster. I guess he's going to, unless a lot of these guys that are in the portal. Yeah, they could come back. They could come back. It could have been emotional. Did you read about uh, what Troy Dannon, the athletic director, said to that public forum in Bellevue mm -mm. last week when he was talking about the Kalen DeBoer? He said... We put numbers in front of Kalen DeBoer that were, quite frankly, unprecedented for this university. He said, we put a Big Ten package in front of Kalen, not a Pac-12 package. Mm -hmm. When it wasn't signed, Kalen said the right things publicly, and I said the right things publicly. This is Troy Dannon, but it gave me pause. Why is he not signing this? And then he actually went into detail. He said publicly, we had an $8.7 million annual contract in front of Kalen at Thanksgiving. And after the Sugar Bowl, we had a $9.4 million offer on the table, which would have put him in the top eight of college football coaches in the country. Yeah. And he was making 4.2. So they gave him a $9.4 million per year deal. Yeah. And he still didn't sign it, which had us thinking, all right, right. something's up. That's right. Yeah, it's not just the money. $9.4 million to coach Washington yeah. is just, to me, is an obscene number. It's crazy. That he was able to walk away from. Do we right. know what if his daughter's still going to play at Washington? No, she's She's already, gone. She's oh, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's all, all more, more bullshit. Roll Tide. Three interviews. Yeah. We've got New Heisel and all of his opinions about DeBoer, how he left, what's going to happen at Alabama. Jed Fish is a former coach with New Heisel, a friend of Rick Neuheisel, so we'll get him in there. Christian Capel on Montlake to give us all the juicy details on how this went down as he reported it. And then the uh, the Mariners' note table, all the things the Mariners have done or haven't done during the offseason.
Well, 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 I smell some better mortgage rates finally. That brings in Jordan Flowers, Woodenville office, cross-country mortgage, back on Mitch Unfiltered. Rate drops the way that he used to drop passes at East Lake High School. <laughs> Ouch, man. And, with the, that and, with the, and that's why he's in the mortgage business, ladies and gentlemen, and the phone should be ringing, right, Jordan? <laughs> well, at least something's ringing off the hook. Yes, it is busy. Phones are ringing like jingle bells. It's awesome. <laughs> We're having a great time here. We're seeing rates already down about a point, point and a half. It took us six months to lose about 300 basis points on the 30-year 6% coupon, and we're, we gained that back in the last 30 days so wow. things are looking good significant how have the rate drops affected the market that you can tell and how about new cross-country products that we should be thinking about as we head towards the new year yeah the rate drops have already impacted the market with uh, buyers getting a little more excited and confident and writing up offers and getting under contract now since they're already seeing probably 500 to a thousand dollar a month savings in a one to two percent drop in rates from where they were just a few months ago yeah and refis are going to be coming up here soon, especially as the Fed starts to cut rates. So things are definitely picking up here. And as far as new products go, there's a bunch of products that have been coming out. One specifically that we're very excited about moving into next year is a construction loan, but a construction loan for investors that are looking to build five to 10 unit mixed use properties, somewhat hard to come across. And uh, we are offering it, I believe we're one of maybe the only lender in the area offering it right now. So mixed use properties five to 10 units, investors that want to build those apartments or condos and sell them or rent them out. Yep. We've got that for you. So up to $4 million. So I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener who's either looking at a refi or making a purchase. And I want to talk and ask questions to Jordan Flowers directly. I call him where? You call me or text me directly at 425-890-2957. There it is. Jordan Flowers. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. We love them. Great, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Two days after Nick Saban announced his retirement, the Crimson Tide have found a new head coach, and his name is Kalen DeBoer. Greg Byrne making the news official with this tweet of white smoke rising from where else, but only in Alabama fashion, Archibald's Barbecue. Every time I think I'm going to give Rick Neuheisel a break from Mitch Unfiltered, something else monumental happens in the world of college football. It's brought to you, as always, by Taco Time Northwest. The clock is unfortunately ticking on the chicken corn chowder. End of the month. And then it's gone. And to think, Rick Neuheisel, the last time we chatted, Kalen DeBoer was the beloved UW coach that damn near brought a national championship home to Montlake. And now Rick Neuheisel, persona non grata. They won't even let him at the airport at SeaTac these days. We were moments away from a parade. A parade, Mitch. Oh. Corn chowder for one and all. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it just didn't come to fruition. Four different drives. Uh, we had an opportunity to go and tie the game, get the game looking like it was headed towards the Husky side of things, yeah. and it just didn't happen. And to add insult to injury, now the whole staff is blown up. Okay. But I bring you good news. I bring you good tidings. You're going to love Jed Fish. All right, we'll get there. We'll get there. One thing at a time. Some are mad that Kalen DeBoer left. 
Others are angry how it happened, Rick. People feel like that this might have been in the works for a lot longer than we would have known that he and Jimmy Sexton were scheming his exit stage left even back in November. What do you choose to believe, Rick? Well, I believe that Jimmy Sexton runs college football. (laughs) He represents now 12 of the 16 coaches in the SEC. Every time there's a ripple in the water, all of his clients and himself included are going to get paid. They're all going to be part of part and parcel of the of the conversation at who's next. They'll all get whether it's an extension or a raise. And it's it's a brilliant menagerie being orchestrated by the great Jimmy Sexton. And Kalen being involved in there uh, is certainly enjoying the spoils. It's a great job. Alabama's one of the premier jobs in all of sport, let alone college football. And to go and be the guy that uh, is in charge of that program is something hard to turn down. So I can understand why he would be interested. I don't believe for a second that he allowed himself to really think about this while in the midst of a championship run. I think Jimmy Sexton knows all too well that you don't do that to a guy. But I do think that Jimmy knew and knew exactly how to position all the clients so as they all would benefit from an opening that's not there very often. You had the unfortunate incident with the San Francisco 49ers job. Is there a right way to do this, or is this going to be clumsy and difficult and angering to fan bases no matter how it comes to pass? Because of the demand for information in the public, no other industry gets scrutinized like coaching gets scrutinized for job openings. People are tracking tail numbers for jets and mm-hmm. they just want to be the first to break the story. We just saw that Ross Bjork got the uh, Ohio State uh, athletic director job. No one was in search of, you know, Ross Bjork's tail number. He was a- allowed to keep that interview, that conversation to himself and, and enjoy his privacy with regard to that. That's just unfortunately not available to coaches. So we avoid the conversation. We, we just say very little Jim Harbaugh because of his uh, brilliance in being clunky in interviews is maybe the best at just ignoring the question. But at day's end, mm-hmm. the question is going to be asked more often and often than you just have to be willing to deal with that and avoid the answer. The avoidance of the answer creates more uncertainty at both places, the places you're, you're maybe thinking about considering and the place that you're currently coaching. Do you think that he knew when he was doing the pregame press conferences in Houston before the national championship game, do you think that Kalen DeBoer knew this was going to be his last game at Washington? No. I don't believe that at all. Okay. I do believe that there was, uh, that Jimmy probably talked to him about a list of things that he would be interested in, probably what agents do. But you just say, I can't focus on that right now. I've got this job to do. But Mm -hmm. here, I'm not interested in anything but this, right? When you do that, and all of a sudden those particular programs become available, then obviously it's important that you have a conversation. You mentioned Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. If Michigan was open at the time, the job, it's not still. Do you think Kalen DeBoer, A, would have chosen Alabama over Michigan had he been offered both, which we don't know that, and B, is he a better fit at Alabama or a better fit at Michigan or is he a better fit at Washington? 
the easy answer to that is he's the best fit at Washington because we've seen what the fit is. The, the slipper fit beautifully. It had all sorts of the accoutrements that go with slippers to make it uh, shine brightly. We don't know what will happen in the South. He has never coached in the South. He's a Midwestern guy, which lends you to think that it would have been a pretty easy fit there at Michigan. As a matter of fact, he was one year at Eastern Michigan there with Chris Creighton, uh, Ypsilanti, which is a suburb of Ann Arbor. It makes sense that Michigan would have been the choice had he had both opportunities available to him. But right now, it looks like to me, if Jim Harbaugh leaves, Sherelle Moore, the guy who was his head coach while he was on the bus awaiting you know, court decisions, yeah. uh, I think Sharon's probably the uh, shoe in for that job. Two last ones about DeBoer, and then we'll get to Fish. Here's one that's a toughie. If this were a year ago and Kalen DeBoer was offered the Alabama job, let's say Nick Saban retired a year earlier than than he did. And mm-hmm. DeBoer had to make a decision, 10 or $11 million a year at Alabama, go take over for the great Nick Saban, that great job, and leave Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, Polk, McMillan, and a team that was poised to become a national championship contender after just one year at Washington. Do you think he would have taken the Alabama job or do you think he would have gone back to Washington? And the reason that I ask you that question before you answer it is because I'd like to know how much a part of this was he looking at the team that he was going to have next year at Washington and saying, "Ah, first year in the Big Ten, I don't know that we have the personnel to compete. No, I think it's fair as you look at uh, the landscape of Washington football based on the departures that were going to leave this particular edition of Husky football, that the Alabama job and the security provided with that, you know, giant contract. And I think it makes all the sense in the world. If you're going to jump, this is the time to jump. A year ago it would have been very difficult to leave that team, especially given all the conversations that you would have had with the guys on that team about staying and let's doing it's having this chance, which is the exact same thing why Jim Harbaugh is going to be much easier motivated to move this year as compared to a year ago when everybody was coming back for the giant championship run. New Heisel slipped the question. What would he, he would, have done a year ago? He would have stayed. He would have turned he down Alabama. He would have turned down he would have Alabama. Turned down Alabama. Yeah. Okay. Wow. This is, you know, this just happened with Lance Leipold. Lance Leipold did this very thing. He turned down uh, Washington, at least to get to the next stage of the conversation because of what he had just said to his team coming back. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to stay and we're going to do this together. Oh, well, I'll come back to Leipold in a second. Last one on DeBoer. Will he win enough at Alabama? He's going to win. Yes. We know he's going to win. And we know the college football playoff is going to be expanded at 12. So he can lose two a year and get in probably to the playoff. Is that going to be enough? Is losing two a year and getting into the playoff but not winning national championships enough? What does he have to do to get over the very high bar? Kalen DeBoer has proven himself as an X and O guy. There is no question he's amongst the elite coaches out there. What we don't know about Kalen DeBoer is his mastery of – player accumulation and Alabama for all their wonderful things that go along that the stadium, which is a hundred thousand, Bryant Denny's beautiful Tuscaloosa's town is burgeoned with the excitement of Nick Saban over the last 16 years. One thing they don't have is a giant collective Texas A&M, Texas, 
others in the SEC will have more money when it comes to trying to entice recruits to your particular university. We have yet to see, can he bring in those quality guys mm-hmm. and get them away from the other schools that he's going to be playing against mm-hmm. on a consistent basis? That we don't know about him. And it's not because he can't. It's just he's never been in that situation. He inherited a team at Fresno. He inherited a team and then brought some Michael Penix with him because of the relationship at Indiana. We don't know, can he go and get the fine meats and cheeses that Nick Saban has ad- has adorned Alabama with over the last 16 years. So, to the guy who picked Quinn Ewers to win the Heisman, I ask you to stick your <laughs> neck out. I'm a, and I'm going to hold this tape near and dear to my heart until five years from five this is years. The, this is why Mitch is so good. He five. does n- he never lets a witness <laughs> off the stand. Five. Years. I am saying DeBoer will be fine, but he's going to need help. Five years from now, will he be the coach? Yes. He'll be the coach. He's going to need help. He's going to need a general manager, which was what Nick Saban did change the industry. Incredibly. You remember the name Jeff Collins? Yeah. Jeff Collins, who was the head coach at Georgia Tech, was Nick Saban's general manager at Tuscaloosa when he went there to begin. He brought an NFL paradigm to college football. All the analysts were his personnel department. I mean, he figured out how to get the best players. Everybody now has the formula. Kalen's going to have to have a Southeastern background general manager that helps him get into the homes of all these kids so that he's as competitive as Nick Saban was. I mean, we're seeing an exodus right now, which is natural, uh, an exodus of Alabama players. Most recently, Julian Sayan, this five-star quarterback, with news that Austin Mack is following Kalen DeBoer from Washington to Alabama, Julian Sayan, the number one quarterback in the country, saying, I'm going to go look elsewhere. Those are the kind of things that the, the ripples in the water that create other ripples someplace else mm-hmm. that he's going to have to keep track of and make sure that he's when he goes to battle, he's got equal uh, e- equal amounts of soldiers, and equal quality soldiers. Let's talk about Washington's reaction and response. The UW athletic director, brand new to the job, said there was only one guy that I wanted and I got him. The guy I wanted was Jed Fish. I wanted a maniacal recruiter. I wanted a maniacal every day of the week and twice on Sundays. You worked with Jed, but then again, who hasn't worked with Jed? I think I'm the only guy (laughs) left that hasn't (laughs) worked with Jed. To me, you've described him as clever. You said, Mitch, you're going to like, you're going to really like Jed Fish. Yeah, Jed's fun. Obviously, he did one of the great coaching jobs of last year, one of the top coaching jobs in the country, getting Arizona to where he did. Is that enough? Do we know for sure that We're Jed Fish sure. in Washington? See, what do we know? See, see today, it, it, the, the game is different today in terms of how you go about creating a roster. There's so many avenues in which to do it because of the transfer portal. So I'm not sure. I know he was heavily invested in the high school recruiting. And to me, that's kind of the forgotten the forgotten landscape, right? Right. There are a bunch of three stars in high school that if you've got a keen eye for who's going to grow and who's going to develop and how to do so, whether it be nutrition, strength and conditioning or, or what have you, that you can take the three stars who are being left behind because everybody's got their eye on already people that have played college football on the transfer portal you can go and build a roster. It's not necessarily exciting on signing day because their names are are not amongst the elite with all the recruiting services abound, but they certainly are still 
quality, quality athletes. And I think in 2022, 16 of the guys that he took were on their starting 22 this year. I don't know those numbers exactly, but in having conversations with them, they were all kind of blossoming as they had projected them to blossom. So mm -hmm. he can do that. He uh, He's going to be keen in working the different alums that uh, are well-heeled in Seattle to try to get them involved in a collective that will put him in a competitive environment out there in the transfer portal and get the pieces. I know that Fafita and McMillan, the receiver quarterback combination in Tucson have said they're staying with Brent Brennan, uh, who also coached for me, <laughs> coached with me at uh, Washington. It's a fascinating world. So it requires great ingenuity. It requires great salesmanship. It requires uh, a way to piece together both resources and a itch of what can be, but he's in a conference now that's one of the super two. And as a member of the super two, he's going to have the ultimate card to play. This is where the NFL guys are going to be watching. This is where your best chance to get to the final 12 is. You're going to be competing against the very best. You're going to be on all the uh, networks, CBS, Fox, NBC are all part of this big 10 this is Nirvana, and I think uh, Jed will play that up to the hilt. He inherits, by the way, basically nothing except for a nice office overlooking the field and Lake Washington. But basically, he's got no roster because everyone has gotten up and left. Every, Virtually everyone. But that didn't scare him off, Rick. No, I, I actually think sometimes that's a virtue. Because as, as I say in college football, and I say this all the time, and this is why the transfer portal is in some ways evil because it's not who you don't get that gets you beat in college football. It's not that guy who says, no, I'm going someplace else. It's the guy that says yes. And then can't play that gets you beat in college football. You've misevaluated. You get a guy that doesn't love it as much as you thought he loved it. Mm -hmm. He's interested in other stuff. Mm -hmm. Those people now, because of the portal are easier to get out of the program to move, to, to, to nudge, if you will. And those people are getting left into this purgatory of the, uh, of the transfer portal that no one's pulling them back out and they're missing their opportunity to get their education. I think that that's a misevaluation by the coach and shouldn't be a penalty for those kids. But at the end of the day, the availability of opportunity at Washington is a plus and he gets to put it together exactly as he wants it. And it brings the bar down for year one, doesn't it? I mean, you listen to in what some you, ways. Well, you, in listen, some ways, you yeah. listen to UW fans right now. It was going to be down this year anyway. Yeah, but Kalen DeBoer but, had stayed. Of course, but UW fans yeah. now, when they watch all these guys every single day on Twitter say, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. I think it's up to 20 out of 22 starters that were projected next year are leaving. No one, no one thinks that he can even win four games next year. So it's a really low bar in year one for Jetfish. It will be interesting to see exactly how he assembles it. But as opportunity is presented and as he goes out and cultivates resources to, to entice, it will be, we saw Washington on the grandest of stages. The kids around the country are looking, wait a minute, they played for the national championship. They're going to the Big Ten, Seattle, Washington. I should at least go look. Sure. And if sure. he's getting kids to come, especially in the summer months, sure. holy smokes, yeah. is it going to be a uh, lure?
Beautiful stuff. I really think I'm going to give you a few weeks off now. I, I just, I have to do it. I have, I mean, you're going to miss me. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to miss me and you're going to miss the corn chowder. So make sure that you get back for some more of that corn chowder uh, as we thank our good friends at Taco Time. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it very much. Talk to you soon. Always fun, man. See ya. As they say, tis the season, fireplace season, Fireside Home Solutions. John Waterstrat is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, John? I'd imagine everyone on your team over there is jolly this time of year. Yes, they are, and they're really busy. We're, uh, <laughs> we're over there getting everybody stocked up for the season, not only for installation stock-ups, but also for uh, product stock-ups. So we're ready to go and serve people here in the Northwest. And you also deal with a lot of repairs. We don't talk about repairs that often when you visit the show. Talk to us about that. Yeah, either way, if tune up a fireplace, repair a fireplace, or if you need us to replace it, just mm-hmm. give us a call. Our unit that Fireside installed has been working overtime here at the house. What's the timetable in the heart of these winter months from Fireside Home Solutions, soup to nuts? We're doing great right now. We have uh, installers ready to go. We have product ready to go. So anywhere between two and three weeks, we can get a brand new fireplace wow. put in your house. Wow. First, the magnificent remodel in Bellevue. Now, what am I hearing about adding the Spokane market to the team? Yep, we just opened up our Spokane market. We're about three months uh, new to that market. We're going to be doing the same things we do over here in the Northwest. Everything from the top to the bottom, installation, service. Looking forward to serving that community. When do you think the showroom will open? We're hoping sometime here in March and April. We're going to go over and do some layouts. So, yep, we'll be excited. I think Mark Few needs to treat himself in Spokane to some cozy warmth after his cold trip to Montlake a few weeks ago. (laughs) So south to Portland and now east to Spokane, fireplaces, gas, electric, wood burning, garage doors. Begin your search with a great sponsor of Mitch Unfiltered, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. UW has their man. The Huskies have hired Jeff Fish as their head football coach, and he comes to Montlake as a familiar Pac-12 foe. No one has done a better job covering the insanity of the last 10 days of college football than my friend Christian Capel on Montlake and on Twitter, and now he's back on Unfiltered. Christian, have you seen anything like this? No. I mean... (laughs) you'd have to start with covering a team that played in a national championship game, right? Like that's a prerequisite for the whole situation. Uh, So national title game a week after an all time thrilling win in the semifinal, that feels like even longer ago Um, and follow it up with a a coach leaving and then a coach hired 48 hours later. It's um, it's crazy, man. So it's been heartbreaking for Washington fans, no doubt. But as just as a guy who's covering it, has it been fun to watch all this happen? We, I mean, this is the new age, the new day and age of college football. Is it fun to cover or is it a little bit tedious? It's fun at times. This juncture with so much uncertainty of who's in the portal, who might go in the portal, who's staying, who's leaving, right. who might be coming from Arizona, who which, which recruits they signed in their most recent class might be coming from Arizona. Parsing all that out is not my favorite thing. You kind of just want to press fast forward to like, okay, what's the roster right, <laughs> and, and right. take a look at it. But right. learning about a new coach and a new staff and digging into who are these guys and where do they come from and what are their backgrounds and having something fresh and, and something new to kind of pivot to like that. That part of it is definitely very interesting from a reporter perspective. The part of this that won't go away for Washington fans is how it went down. Even more than Kalen DeBoer leaving after two years, what's the truth? 
I've seen a lot of great reporting from Christian Capel, but what I haven't seen a lot of is opinion. So let's get opinion on Mitch Unfiltered. What do you think is the reality? When did he know? Did he know going back in November I might leave? Did he know before the national championship game this is going to be my last game? Did he put off signing the contract with Washington because he was looking at jobs? What does Christian Capel believe is the truth behind the departure of Kalen DeBoer? Man, it's hard to know. I will say I don't think anybody believes that Nick Saban's agent, Jimmy Sexton, found out that Nick Saban was retiring uh, on that Wednesday morning. I would imagine that uh, he had some prior notice. Now, whether he put that in Kalen DeBoer's ear during the season, hey, maybe don't lock yourself into a new deal just yet because there might be something coming around the corner you'd be interested in. I don't know. I certainly think that's possible. It's college athletics. Right. Like this stuff never happens exactly the way that people say it happens. Everybody's lying all the time, especially when it comes to these sort of sensitive timelines. And do we believe that a process that Nick Saban was involved in? Because Greg Byrne, Alabama's athletic director, has talked about how he's he's advised on this stuff. I mean, do we think that they began the process to replace Nick Saban at Alabama the day that Nick Saban retired at Alabama? It just, it, it strains credulity, right? So I don't know. I mean, I've heard people speculate, oh, he, he knew before the playoff. He knew before the national championship game. What do you game. think? I don't know. Maybe maybe there's an inkling in this world of, of college athletics and coaching and contracts and agents. I just, I always assume that more is known about what's going to play out behind the scenes than what is made public. And I think everybody knows by now, Kalen DeBoer and Nick Saban have the same agent. So... I don't think it's real difficult to draw a line from that to there probably was some thought that that would be a possibility. I, I don't know that I buy it was like a done deal or anything, but Christian Capel on Montlake surprised by the level of animosity of Huskies fans. It, it's got to be more than just he's leaving. He's going to the preeminent job in college football or one of them. I mean, what if he was leaving Christian to go be the head coach of the New England Patriots. At some point, there's got to be a line where Huskies fans would say, I get it, I'm not happy about it, but I get the guys going to that job. But there seems to be more vitriol. I haven't been able to put my finger on it. Yeah, I think leaving four days after coaching in a national championship game and after talking about, you know, the, the foundational principles of his program were love and brotherhood and you know they talked last offseason about getting all these guys Penix and Odunze and McMillan and Trice and Fautanu back for one more year and back together to, to chase a national championship and they they came as close as you can come without actually achieving that goal and then he's gone four days later and the fact that there was a contract extension in front of him and he talked about not wanting it to be a distraction and wanting to wait until the season was over easy to to go back and, and interpret those words a little bit differently now in, mm -hmm. in hindsight. I think mm -hmm. at the time, people were maybe less likely or maybe more hesitant to really dig in and, ooh, that's kind of a foreboding. Why won't he just sign it? How big of a distraction could it be? Because the season was going so well. They were winning. They are chasing a, a CFP appearance and all these things. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think people fixated on it as much. But, um, yeah, I just I, the combination of 
You didn't win the championship. You're losing all your best players to graduation in the NFL to begin with. He leaves, takes a couple guys with him to Alabama, takes a staff with him to Alabama. There's a couple Washington players in the portal taking visits to Alabama. The roster's falling apart. I think it all just combined to be kind of one big dose of reality of of what college football is now. I just asked Neuheisel this question. I'll ask you. I'm curious to your answer. If this had all happened a year ago, Saban retires a year ago, He's got Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, McMillan, Polk, and the whole crew ready to take a run for the national championship, maybe. He's got to choose between $10 million at Alabama or $9 million or $8.4 million at Washington and making another run at it. What would he have done? And the reason I ask you that is your answer will tell me in part how much of this was about the team that he thought he had next year in its first year in the Big Ten, is it possible he was thinking, ah, I don't know that I've got such a great team. Now, I don't know that I'm going to win six or seven games next year. I don't know that the opportunity, if you put the opportunity in front of Kalen DeBoer at any time to be the head coach who succeeds Nick Saban at Alabama, I think it'd be really hard to say no to. But I think it would be a lot harder to say yes to knowing that you've got the core coming back and that you sold them all. I mean, that was what Ryan Grubb said when he turned down Nick Saban last year, right? Alabama made a run at him. He went and interviewed and don't think that there weren't Husky fans already nervous at that point that, oh my goodness, if Ryan Grubb goes to Alabama, would, would Michael Penix Jr. go with him? Would he take some of these guys? So that, that concern already was cropping up before it even happened. And when he turned down that job, he later explained it as, it would have been wildly out of my character to take the job after selling all these guys on comeback, band back together one more year. Let's chase a title in 23. I, I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So maybe Kalen DeBoer would have come down on the same side of that. It's a little different when it's a head coaching opportunity. Yeah. Um, interesting thought exercise. I, I really don't know what he would do. I think it would be real knowing what his ambition is now. I think it'd be really tough for him to say no to Alabama wow. in any context. You think he would have left Michael Penix? I could see it on that Rainer's cap. I, I think you would have. Well, I think he would have left Michael Penix last year. That's that's two different discussions, though, he because would he have left him? Yeah. What are you taking or, him with him? Yeah. Hmm. How did you feel about the fish hire? When you first heard about it, because you cover the Pac-12, you watched the great job that he did at Arizona, at least last year. And then after the days had gone by and you heard from him at the presser, did it change fundamentally how you felt about the hire? Yeah, I think it was um, it was probably right about the best they could do on that timeline. I think it was clearly a priority to get it done fast. And as as we learned from Troy Dannon, sounds like the timeline on that search started probably before things became official with Kalen DeBoer at Alabama um, because it was trending that way. So maybe that gave them a little bit of a head start. He did a great job at Arizona. I mean, he walked into that program at absolute rock bottom. That was not a desirable job um, in the context of Power Five openings. It was a rough year one, but man, to go from one and eleven to even one and eleven to five and seven. I mean, everyone's going to talk about the ten win year this year, but just getting them to mediocre in year two, that was a huge leap from what they were the year before. They're just completely non competitive in a lot of games. They actually should have beat Washington in Tucson. That's yeah. a different matter. Um, <laughs> you know, he clearly got a lot done installing his offense there and getting some playmakers in. And, and they last year, I mean, this twenty twenty three season took a huge stride 
defensively. Um, use the portal to to bring some guys in on the D line and at linebacker and his recruiting. I mean, to sign a top twenty five recruiting class coming off that one and eleven season, there were a lot of things pointing to him as a an ideal candidate for for Washington generally, but especially for this moment where you're going to have to reconstruct the roster. You're going to have to get people excited about playing at Washington coming off a national title appearance. Yes. But with the coaching change and going into the big 10 and all these things, he's got, um, you know, obviously a long history in the NFL. He's played for a ton of really, really successful, I mean, future hall of fame coaches. And, um, there, there, there's a lot on his resume that pointed to him as being the right guy for this moment for Washington. Who's going to be the quarterback of the Huskies next year. Any chance will Rogers would, uh, reconsider leaving Washington. And if not, where's he going at this late stage? And I know there's a four-star quarterback that was committed to fish in Arizona that has flipped to Washington, but he'd be too young to be the starter next year as a true freshman, right? Yeah, I would think that Will Rogers would be the, um, you know, if I'm Jed Fish and looking at what I have available and what I can get, I don't know that you're going to go out in the portal at this late stage or in the spring window and find a quarterback who's more ideally situated to step into a, a situation like this than Will Rogers, especially since he's already enrolled. He's already there on campus. Um, he did go in the transfer portal. He was at Washington's first meeting. Like you said, it's it's difficult for for quarter you know for for someone like him to find a new home at this stage dylan morris didn't want to go in the transfer portal from washington until after the season was over because he wanted to stay with them through the cfp but ryan grubb basically told him look you can stay with us through the cfp but if you want to find a new school you need to go in the portal and you need to start talking to these schools and figure it out you know we don't want you being a good guy to be the reason you don't find a spot so that was in december right it was already at the point where it's going to be tough to find a spot in December. So now, I mean, someone like Will Rogers, who's played a ton and and, and has uh, all that film and all that production out there, maybe there is somebody who their quarterback situation changes some in spring and they want to make a run at him. But I would think he would still give Washington a, a long look if Jed Fish and his staff um, identify him as someone they want to keep around. But doesn't Will Rogers have to be saying to himself, who's my offensive line? Who's my wide receivers? I mean, who? If I go back to Washington, they don't have any. They don't have any pieces that that are going to give me a best chance of being successful. Yeah, and and if you're a receiver who's thinking about going in the portal or thinking about Washington, you're going to be wondering, well, who's the quarterback, right? So, there, it's a it becomes a chicken or the egg thing at that level where you almost need groups of guys to yes. commit to coming back yes. or groups yes. of guys who are maybe coming from Arizona or, you know, there's a handful of offensive linemen in the portal. How open are they to returning? Um, Parker Brailsford has taken a visit to Alabama, so maybe that's going to be a tougher poll. But there's a couple seniors, Julius Bulow and Nate Kalepo, who played a lot of football. You'd like to think they could have a chance to get those guys back. Who knows? The Hatchet brothers are in the portal. So there's just a lot in flux. Um, and and I, I do think they're – you know, you're going to need kind of that stalwart or a couple of stalwarts to make the decision that you're staying at Washington. And then you can you can kind of try to build the roster around those guys. And you beat me to my last punch. My last question, which was going to be, are there any whispers about guys that who, who have uh, gone into the portal from Washington that might come back? Not a lot. I mean, both Garrett Hatchett and Landon Hatchett indicated when they went in the portal that they were just, they were assessing options. Um, did not seem at all as if they'd eliminated Washington or if they were just fed up and I'm yeah. out of here. Right. The other side of it too is that a 
new coaching staff might have different ideas about what personnel should look like at certain positions. And so maybe there's certain guys, and I wouldn't think that any of those offensive linemen would would fall in this category, um, but uh, maybe there's certain guys in the portal who they look at and say, you know what, I don't know that that guy's a fit for us anyway. Let's Let's go in a different direction. So I'd be really surprised if every single guy in the portal wound up transferring. I don't know that there's they're going to find that the grass is necessarily greener at this late stage where kind of the same thing we talked about with Rogers, where are, where are your options? Who's got to need this late in the game? So I, I would expect them to get yeah. a couple back at least the very best Washington Huskies football coverage on Montlake. Christian Capel does a phenomenal job. Become a subscriber. I'm one. And I wish that all of you would uh, join me in that venture. Ladies and gentlemen, Christian Cable back on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Christian. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand there's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay. I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that trade at attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down? 1% I would think that they're up because overall the market is up but I'll just say 2% how about that Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Oh, really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, yeah. we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm-hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31. I'll say the 31%. So they're actually up 24%. (laughs) So you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really, there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this year. I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. Before you know it, 
Pitchers and catchers will be reporting to spring training. The Mariners roster is supposed to be a work in progress. The word progress is the key word which we'll examine on a special edition of the Mariners Note Table with Joe Doyle and Jason Churchill. They're back on Mitch Unfiltered. Jason, over the weekend, Whit Merrifield, I think all 33 or 34 years of him, said, I hit best in Seattle, and he is a free agent, and I think the Mariners could use another another infielder. What do you think? Yeah, so I look at the Whit Merrifield thing. Like at the beginning of the free agency period, I saw a lot of Mariners fans like, "Go get Whit Merrifield." I think he's more of a name than he is a performer at this particular point. I think uh-huh. he's a part-time player. That doesn't mean he can't fit. But I really think what the idea here would be, let's just get another guy with a track record that can play multiple positions, including a little bit of second base, because it doesn't sound like the Mariners know exactly how they want to deploy not just their infielders. But Dylan Moore, and if you added a Whit Merrifield, it would free up Dylan Moore to cover for some of those defensive deficiencies we're going to see in the outfield. Because you look at that outfield right now, Mitch, and it's a bunch of guys who really shouldn't play every day or yeah. shouldn't play the outfield yeah. a whole lot. Yeah, and we're going to go through all the positions uh, on this edition of the Mariners No Table with Joe and Jason. The last time we were together, Joe, we talked a little bit about the Mariners essentially giving Kalnick away to the Braves to get the Braves to take salary off their hands with other guys. Remind us how you felt then and how you feel now about that Kelnick deal to Atlanta. Yep, nothing's changed. I, I think Seattle, while they had to make the deal to move money, if that was the prerogative of the of the ownership group and, and they needed to move to move money around, yeah, like I get it. You got to get uh, a, a piece like Jared Kelnick into the deal to move some of those contracts, but I still think they sold Jared Kelnick for 75 cents on the dollar. I don't think they got enough value back or I don't think they shed enough payroll to justify getting rid of him. Now, that being said, bringing in a guy like Luke Rayleigh certainly replaces the production that you probably could have expected from Jared Kelnick, albeit without the upside control and youth that Jared Kelnick is going to provide. But at the end of the day, I, I, I still think personally the ceiling with Jared Kelnick would have provided more, more production than what you're probably going to get from me like the upside of Luke Rayleigh. Mitch, I, I think Jared Kelnick was getting traded regardless. I, I think d- despite the ownership seemingly making a late kind of new decision to freeze payroll or cut payroll, however it ends up, right. Jared Kelnick probably wasn't going to be back anyway. It just It's sad that he had to be included in this kind of a deal because like Joe said, 75 cents on the dollar might even be kind. Uh, this is a yeah. guy with control years who started to hit last year until he kicked a cooler 25 years old. This is a guy teams are going to be interested in. I'm a little surprised he went to the Braves, you know, in general, but when you loop in the money part of it, it, he was only going to go to a team that was going to be able to take on that cash to get him. But you see the value in Jared Kelnick because the Braves were willing to take on Evan so White why? and Marco Gonzalez to some extent. Church, why do you say he was going to get traded no matter what? He was the poison pill in that clubhouse. There's absolutely no question about it. And and I'm not saying Jared Kelnick's a bad guy. I think he's a young player that has struggled and he wears it on his sleeve and then some. It just drips all over him on a consistent basis and it doesn't fit. Think about I'm not saying this is a this is a direct correlation, but the only evidence we have is the Mariners play better without Jared Kelnick. And Jared Kelnick is there all year. They're basically a 500 team. He's gone, and the Cade Marlows of the world and Dom Canzone and Josh Rojas come in, and the team goes on their run. I'm not I'm not saying there's a direct correlation, but we don't have any other evidence. Like Jared Kelnick is a little bit of a poison pill. Now, yeah. hopefully he just matures and grows up, and I still believe in Jared Kelnick, the player, and I'm not trying to call him out as a human being. It's fine, but he was so frustrated and he was so intense and wanted to win so bad and wanted to be part of the winning so bad. 
he just spread all kinds of negative tension and, and, and activity in that clubhouse. You could just, you can tell nobody's really sad. He's gone. And boys, the poison pill, Joe Doyle goes on TV the other day and throws Jerry DePoto under the bus. He says part of the problem in Seattle was the fact that DePoto was a distraction. His interviews were a distraction. The words he chose in the press were a distraction. We're trying to avoid the noise, Joe, and we've got our general manager out there just adding to the noise. Is this sour grapes? Why did he feel the need to toss the uh, the former general manager, his former general manager, under the bus? It's totally sour grapes. And you know what it, it shows is it, it shows a total lack uh, and misunderstanding of how the industry works. Another thing that Jared Kelnick said was, yeah, there's just not a whole lot of communication going on between Jerry DePoto and, and the clubhouse. <laughs> there is not communication going on between a general manager and his clubhouse ever. Oh, I had an introductory phone call with Alex Anthopoulos and he was, you know, this no bullshit. This is how it is. This, I can almost guarantee you that from March 30th on, he will hear almost nothing from Alex Anthopoulos because that's not Alex Anthopoulos's job to pin his struggles and to pin some of the Mariners struggles of 2023 on Jerry DePoto's comments that took place a week after the season ended is ridiculous. I just think I think Jared Kelnick wants to be able to provide an excuse to make up for his shortcomings and his misdoings mm -hmm. at the end of the day. He had so many opportunities. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would reckon 750 plate appearances to prove that he's a big leaguer. And while he did show improvement in 2023, I think almost everybody that you talk to, even the casual fan that watched Jared Kelnick on the baseball field would agree. There's a lot more to be desired from a left fielder than that. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting about this too, is the whole idea that general managers talk, talk to players. Remember this first came up when they traded Kendall Graveman to the Astros in the, at the deadline where all the fans were mad and Kyle Seeger starts lying out of his backside about never talking to Jerry DePoto. Like what, what's supposed to be the, the value of communication from the general manager to the clubhouse and the team anyway, what's supposed to be the value there. And you know what fans run with it. So play, somebody like Jared Kelnick is like, well, the fans are going to eat this up. So I'm going to go out there and just say some things. Yeah, it's definitely sour grapes from Jared Kelnick at this point. Let's go through some of the things that they did after they traded Jared Kelnick. Church, we'll begin with you. They went out and they gave Mitch Garver from the Rangers. I think it's two years, $24 million to catch a little when uh, Cal's not to DH. The stat that everybody likes to uh, wrap their arms around is zero for 31 in Seattle mm -hmm. as a career. And he signs a two-year free agent contract with the Mariners. What do you make of the Garver sign? <laughs> yeah, I, I liked the deal. I was surprised he didn't get more money, to be honest with you. And and I think the biggest reason why is the biggest reason why I'm a little bit skeptical, just in terms, not of the signing, but in terms of what they might be expecting from Mitch Garver. This is a guy who's never played more than, when what, 103 games in a season. He's only played more than 90 games twice. He played 87 a year ago. Probably shouldn't catch a whole lot. So if you're expecting him to get back behind the plate 60 or 70 times, that's almost certain to not happen. And if it does, that probably means something bad happened to Cal Raleigh anyway. Uh, but even as a DH slash maybe part-time first baseman, maybe catch a little, how many at-bats do they expect to get out of Mitch Garver? Because he didn't catch all that much last year in Texas and still only got 344 plate appearances. So that's $12 million a year 
might actually fit considering how much you can actually expect Mitch Garver to be in the lineup. But I do like the addition. He's but, going to hit uh, to some level, and it's a nice, solid professional hitter to add somewhere to the middle of that order. I want to do this one by one, but I've got to jump in, Church, and ask, isn't that the common thread with all the guys that they've gotten since the, t- the three of us were together? I mean, they've gotten Mitch Hanniger, who's never on the field. They've gotten Dee Sclafani, who's never on the mound. They've gotten Luke Rayleigh, who I think 357 at-bats is the most he's ever had in a season. Every single guy that they've acquired this offseason has questions as to how much they can actually play and perform, no? Yeah, and I think the thing with Rayleigh is I think he did have 400 plate appearances last year, but you're right. That's not a full season. It's kind of two-thirds of a player, but it was his first full season at the big league level, and there are some signs that he doesn't need to be automatically platooned and sat on the bench against left-handed hitters. He actually handled, in small sample, he handled left-handers pretty pretty well last year, and I think Dom Canzone has a chance to hit lefties some too, so maybe not as strictly as a Mitch Garver and Mitch Hanniger, obviously with Mitch Hanniger, it's about how healthy can he stay and what they try to do to keep him healthy. But yeah, you're right, Mitch. There's a lot of guys uh, that may not be able to just walk up, see their name in the lineup. They're going to have to go check. They're going to have to see who's pitching and they're going to have to play matchup. But I think that's the point. And I think that's why it's Mitch yeah. Hanniger, Luke Rayleigh, Dom Canzone, Cade Marl, uh, Mitch Garver. I think that's why there's four or five of them instead of two. Joe, I know you want to jump in here. Joe Doyle. But as you do, the combination of Garver and Hanniger, I can't figure that out because I thought that if you want to get Hanniger through the season, you need to DH him. You can't ask him to run out and play right field every day. Well, you paid Garver two years and $24 million to do what? To DH when Cal Raleigh's playing. So the two of them, I don't know that that mix makes a whole lot of sense intellectually to me. What about you? Yeah, you you know how this goes. You know how this goes. Jason knows how this goes. I know how this goes. The plan is for Mitch Haniger to play 110 games in right field, to play 100 games in, in the outfield. Well, I can promise you on August 1st, <laughs> we're going to have a statement from Scott Service that says, the bat is just too good, and we've got to keep him out there. It's the only way that the puzzle really works right now. And Mitch Haniger will probably, if he stays healthy, will probably end up playing about 128 to 135 games in the outfield. He will. Dom Canzone, and this is not me being negative. This is not me being negative. Dom Canzone will probably play 40 or 50 more games than he rightfully should in the outfield. People point to Dom Canzone being this outfielder he's not a good outfielder he's not a good defensive outfielder it's it's not good out there and so i think the thing that you're going to see from the seattle mariners in 2024 is a pretty big regression in terms of defensive outfield ability and performance but i want to add on one other thing that you mentioned there you said mitch garver you know part-time player luke rayleigh part-time player uh, mitch hanniger part-time player this is what happens when you cut back on the budget and this is not me doing the sour grapes thing again it is a way to acquire upside in the bat with major red flags and question marks in terms of like what you're actually going to get because the durability the risk and reward like is mitch garver a guy that could play 125 130 games and hit 280 with 30 home runs yeah he is he's never done it but that's kind of why you're getting the discount the same goes for mitch handiger could he hit 35 home runs and hit 245 yeah but the reason that you got the discount in that trade is because Chances are he's only going to play 85 games. So uh, it's it's all one kind of giant piece of the puzzle in terms of what cutting back payroll means and the sacrifices that a front office has to make to to reasonably, hopefully improve the team on the field. And I keep going back, Mitch, to, to Luke Rayleigh. We were just talking about Luke Rayleigh. If he's a part-time player, if they're going to treat him like a platoon guy for the most part, 
and not give him starts in the outfield against left-handed pitching, they're going to be short that much more short on defense on guys that are viable, legitimate defensive players. Luke Rayleigh is a viable outfielder, a guy you could send out there 150 times a year and be fine. He's not great. He's not going to win a gold glove. He shouldn't play center field, but in a corner, absolutely fine. You can make the argument right now about all the guys that we're talking about. It's Julio Rodriguez. And then it's Luke Rayleigh defensively. So if you, you pigeonhole in him into being a platoon guy, defensively, you're a little more messed up. And this brings us back to the whole Whit Merrifield thing who can play the outfield. Dylan Moore can play the outfield. If you don't need him at second base, he's available for outfield. So this, this roster certainly isn't complete. So church in a vacuum, how did you like the Robbie Ray deal? He wasn't going to figure into the Mariners' plans probably until the last quarter of the season, if that, this year. And you're able to parlay him for the two guys that we mentioned, Anniger, DeSclefani, two guys that have great durability questions. The pitcher has only thrown, what, 25 starts in the last two years combined. Do you bring him in to to put him at the bottom of your rotation and woo to the bullpen? What's your plan with DeSclefani, and how did you like that deal, as I say, in a vacuum? Yeah, I, I came out on the positive side on that deal. I think whatever you get from Mitch Hanniger is a bonus. I think whatever you get from DeSclefani is a bonus. I, I do think the club has an opportunity to maybe start the season with a six-man rotation as a way to kind of curb some of that workload on some of the younger guys. I think Bryce Miller's still in that box a little bit, but Brian Wu certainly is in that box. And, and, and DeSclefani also gives them an opportunity to start Brian Wu in the minors, which is probably exactly where he should be. He's got work to do. We know he's got pretty good stuff. He's got two good fastballs. Let's see him go develop a secondary pitch that can get out right-handed batters, that can get out left-handed batters. He really struggling against lefties last year. So maybe DeSclefani allows them to do that. And I feel fine about that. But to me, the key to all of this is what do the Seattle Mariners do with the financial flexibility that Robbie Ray just created for them? I know that not a lot of it, you know, basically none of it comes in 2024, but not having that deal on the books for the next couple of years gives them an opportunity. Just just throwing this out. I don't think they're in on Blake Snell. I, I don't really think it's a legitimate possibility, at least at this point. But you could go out there and conceivably give Blake Snell a four year deal for one hundred and fifteen million dollars or whatever and pay him a little less in 2024 and make it work and then make up for it on the backside. You have that flexibility now to go get a player and do something like that before the Robbie Ray deal. You did not. So this could impact 2024 and it could impact 2025 and 2026 as well, or all three years. So I'm kind of waiting around to me. That's the key to the whole thing. Otherwise, all you did was kind of rob Peter to pay Paul here, which really probably doesn't end up making an impact. Yeah, for 2024, there's there's next to no circumstance and scenario where Seattle is not better with this deal. Payroll doesn't even matter. But for 2025, and Jason, I know you didn't mention this, but they owe Mitch Hanniger 16, something like $16 million in 2025. That's a player option, but there's next to no way that the team is going to be able to get out from under that. So... Did they save eight or nine million dollars in 2025? Yes. The issue with this is it's obviously a payroll move. And that's the thing that's frustrating for me. It, it points to, okay, well, we've got Logan Gilbert that's going to get more expensive. Cal Raleigh's going to get more expensive. George Kirby's going to get more expensive. All of these players that are starting to hit arbitration, part of me looks at this deal and goes, it sure feels like the front office is preparing and kind of polishing the payroll to make it feasible to keep all of right. these guys for another year right. or two more years. But right. I don't think it gives as much financial flexibility as, as the team hopes it will. But for 2024 and for the short term and for trying to compete for a championship this year, there's next to no way that it's not going to turn out net positive. And, and, and you know what? It doesn't matter what Robbie Ray does in San Francisco. It doesn't. Seattle has their rotation 
covered. He could go in another Cy Young and it's going to be like, oh man, I get it. But do you really think you're short on starting pitching in this organization right now? You're not. So going out and doing something like this certainly made sense. So let's go through in our final moments. Let's go through what they have as of the moment. If they were reporting to spring training and they were playing a baseball game tomorrow, Church, Joe, tell me what they have, what their lineup would be. Obviously, it would depend on lefty versus right, all that stuff. But for the most part, I see France at first. I see Rojas at second. I see Crawford at short. I see Urias at third. I see some combination of Rayleigh, Rodriguez, Hanniger, Canzone in the outfield. I see Moore and Haggerty as extra infielders and outfielders. I know the rotation, I think. Although you just told me Wu should start in the minors. Do we think ultimately Wu should be in the bull? Is he going to be a more impactful bullpen guy for the Mariners as we move forward in the, in the middle stages of 24? Church, or do you think he's still a, a starting pitcher in the Mariners? I would I would stick with Wu as a starter until the opportunity for him to pitch out of your bullpen is more valuable. See, that could be that could come late in the season uh, when his innings are, are loading up anyway, or when you become convinced that's his long term role in the first place, which isn't completely out of the question though. But there's no reason to do that now, at least for the long term. You can do that as a way to kind of get value out of him at the big league level without sending him to the minors and and still kind of curb that workload and work with him on his pitches. You can do something like that. I think that you kind of nailed the lineup. That's pretty much what it is. They're going to play some matchup. I think Cade Marlowe is in the mix there as well as a guy who yeah, I know he struggled late and ended up getting uh, option down when Jared Kelnick came back. But Cade Marlowe had a nice little run there, a run that in his rookie year, by the way, Jared Kelnick didn't have until his third season. That was a pretty nice run, obviously culminating in that grand slam in against Anaheim the against the Angels. Yeah. I think Cade Marlowe did some things where he's, for me, I'd pencil him in to some of those scenarios at the big league level and so see what's if he coming? takes off a little bit as well. Boys, is anything else coming down the pike? I mean, you mentioned Blake Snell. I think that would be the obvious thing that would get Mariners fans a little bit more on board. He's a big name. He's won the Cy Youngs. He's a local kid. He's probably a difference maker. Although he can't pitch late in the games, we know that. Is there anything else, Joe, that could come down the pike in these late stages of the offseason that could help Mariners fans become confident again or get excited again for Mariners baseball? Yeah, I mean, Blake, Blake Snell would be an awesome addition. And there there are some signs. Like, if you look at some of the guys that Seattle has acquired over the last week, you know, Joey Craybell, uh, Austin Voth, Anthony DeSclafani. Like, if you wanted to set up a roster full of swing guys that can pitch multiple innings, well, maybe that sets you up to go get a guy like Blake Snell who might be have to might have to leave after the fifth inning. So, you know, do I think Blake Snell is coming to Seattle? No. Do I think the team technically has like 13 or 14 million more dollars in the payroll space to get over the 2023 level? Yes, but I, I tend to think Seattle is probably going to end up closer to 132 to 134 before all of this is said and done and unfortunately i do think kind of the guy that that lines up for this team is is a guy like whit merrifield or, or someone like that that can handle multiple different positions that can handle the outfield that can handle second base that can handle third base i think in a perfect world the, the the mariners would like to go find a guy that can handle a majority of the uh, of the innings at third base because the way i look at it and again I'm a, I'm a glass half full type of guy in almost every circumstance but for a team so is so stapled into their competitive window right now there is so much hope and i mean that in almost a negative way you hope that luis arias is going to be good you hope that dom kenzone you hope that luke Rayleigh, you hope that garver and hanniger are going to stay healthy 
for where this team is in its competitive window, it's a little frustrating that there's yeah. five, six, seven different roster spots that are, are relying on upside, which I just, you know, mm-hmm. that shouldn't be the case. There's something still missing in the bullpen as well for me. I, uh, the Austin Vote thing, I, I completely get. I, I like grabbing, you know, some of those guys Joe just mentioned, you know, Crable and uh, Butchery, uh, those guys could be the, the Topas and the Spires of, of 2024. Absolutely could be. And Butchery's had some pretty good years in Anaheim. It's been a few years and he had a, a finger injury last year that held him out. But this is a guy who struck out 28% of the batters he's faced before in a major league season against major league hitters. So maybe he turns out to be something, but I still think they're missing something at the back of the bullpen. Voth isn't that guy, but he's probably not that guy. I don't think that they can just sit around and say Prolander Barrow is going to be that guy or Vargas is going to be that guy, the, the right-hander they picked up in the Arizona deal. But there are some guys on the, the free agent market right now where they're a little older, like guys like David Robertson would make a lot of sense as a stabling force with Brash and with Munoz at the back end. And if they still have four or five million dollars to throw at a guy like that, they might be able to you know have a chance to get that and kind of go at a let's just make the pitching staff as good as we can because we don't see the trade or the free agent signing out there that puts our offense over the top. You can still get better by adding to the pitching staff in the back of the bullpen as part of it. Church, any position players you have your eye on besides Merrifield? No, and I don't really like the Merrifield thing. I'm not saying it would be a terrible idea. It depends on what that costs you and how much uh, of, of the payroll that takes up. But And I would think that regardless of, of what ownership did with payroll this year, I just don't think you throw six, eight million dollars at a guy like Whit Merrifield. I mean, if you're out there and you think Whit Merrifield is an amazing idea and you're wondering why I doubt it, go look at how he performed last year. You know, a guy that's getting into his mid-30s He's not very good. He wasn't very good last year at all. A below average, well below average. So uh, I'm not big there. I don't think free agency. I don't think there's a whole lot there unless you want to, you know, add to the conversations here on the show, Mitch, about what in the world are they doing in the outfield? Because Jorge Soler's name keeps coming up, keeps getting uh, connected to Seattle. And and it's weird, you know, and if they do something like that, maybe it means they're trading Ty France. I don't know. And making Mitch Garver or Luke Rayleigh the first baseman. I don't know. I think if they, they do something that's big to that lineup in particular, it's some sort of a trade. But in order to do that, you have to find a team that's willing to take either prospects only, or you have to find a way to make it okay for your ball club to trade a Bryce Miller or Logan Gilbert. And that's really difficult. So Joe, you get the last word. Let's assume there's no big trade coming. There's no Merrifield coming. There's nothing more offensively that's coming. And you just went through it. A lot of upside, a lot of hoping and hoping this guy's good. Is there any way this team, as it lines up, as I listed it just a few moments ago, is that better, worse, the same as last year's offensive Seattle Mariners? I think offensively, it's a little bit better team. There's a lot more certainty. You're not banking on a guy. You're not banking on a guy like Jared Kelnick. You know that Cal Raleigh is going to take what he did in 2023 and transition it to 2024. I think had Ty France had one of the, if not the worst year of his career, you know, probably the worst year of his career. He's a, he's a steady player. I think the offense itself is going to be better. Do I think the bullpen is going to be as good? Probably not. What do I ultimately see for this team? And, and Mitch, I'm sure that we're going to have this conversation during spring yeah. training, but if Seattle was an 88-win team last year, I think they're about an 86-win team with 91-win upside if guys like Brian Wu and Bryce Miller take significant steps forward and the team stays healthy. What I know for sure is I'm going to capture these guys during the baseball season if it's the last thing I do to continue the Mariners' note table. I love them. I love them. Joe Doyle and Jason Churchill. Joe, thanks very much. All right, Mitch. Baseball things, Jason Churchill. Love you, Jason. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it.
Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsay Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler. I got to tell you, while my family was loving Thanksgiving at the downtown location, Lindsay's family was experiencing the Les Shy remodel after a couple of months. How'd it come out, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch. Happy holidays. Uh, it came out great. We had a great time. The space looks beautiful. The views are even better. There's more windows, bigger windows. We kind of rearranged the room and the furniture to take better advantage of the views. It's awesome. Uh, you got to check it out. You're going to love it. Yeah, we've already made plans. The Levy family has to check out the new remodel at Les Shy, the original Daniels Broiler. Now, Daniels starts with a D to December starts with a D. There's nothing quite like Daniels during the holidays, Lindsay. It's true. I mean, we talk about how we're great for celebrations all year long, but December is such a great month for celebrating. And all four locations have something unique about them during the holidays. Leshi that we just talked about, you can see the Christmas ships on certain nights. Nice. The Lake Union location, you can also see the Christmas ships. Bellevue's the gorgeous views. A downtown Bellevue's all lit up. You can do the winter wonderland and the Snowflake Lane next door. And downtown Seattle's looking good right now. It's all decorated for the holidays. So it just feels festive at all the locations and a great place to celebrate for sure. And if your office is looking for a spot for private parties, Daniel's Broiler offers the best opportunity. We love Daniel's Broiler at Mitch Unfiltered. Obviously, world-class steakhouses. Hey, Zeke's Pizza President Dan Black is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Watching the insanity of his favorite college football program, you have any eligibility left, Dan? They need players. Can you can you play both ways? What position? Yeah, Jed Fish hit me up the other day when we delivered some pizza. So uh, I might, you know, I might be on the depth chart for quarterback next year for the Huskies. But hey, bitch, I got a question for you. Yes. So I know this guy. He's he used to be a sports radio guy. Now he does a podcast. <laughs> he's a great interviewer because he shows genuine curiosity and. I thought about you a lot. If you and I were standing in the sports book in Mandalay Bay, would you have put a bet on the Huskies in the Pac-12 championship or the Sugar Bowl? I would have bet them in the Pac-12 championship for sure. I would have bet them in the Sugar Bowl for sure. And then I would have bet them in the national championship game. That's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Curiosity cured. (laughs) You got it. The Pigskin 10 promotion has been a hit. We used it here during the national semifinal game in the Sugar Bowl. Tell everybody about it. Are we keeping it rolling through the NFL season and the playoffs and the Super Bowl? Yeah, no, Pigskin 10, like we've talked about, super popular. It's rolling through the Super Bowl, active on what we call football days, which is Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Mm -hmm. And it's $10 off any order of $40 or more, so $30 after the discount. Easiest way is on the app or online. You just enter the code. And like I say, the idea is that if you're ordering pizza while you're watching football, it's a no-brainer. The Kraken have gotten hot all of a sudden, Dan. How about Kraken happy hours down near the uh, the building? Yeah, no, our Belltown location, as you know, is kind of Kraken central. We got a great bar there. We run great happy hour specials and stuff. And I know you're Mr. I don't drink beer, but trust me, five <laughs> or six bucks for a pint is good. We got cheap slices. Nice. Uh, it's active and fun in there. We got all the crack and pregame and hockey on and stuff. So that's a, that's a great spot. I love how Zeke's Pizza has connected with sports, especially sports locally. We love Zeke's Pizza, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 272, the other stuff segment. Hot Shot Scott. 
I'm going to give you a movie recommendation. Wow, I like it. Your last one was great, by the way, for the record. Which one did I give you? By the way, I don't even know if I can say it was a great recommendation because you didn't say you loved it. You said you liked it. I liked it. I liked it. I, liked I loved it. it. You loved it. I thought it was great. Yes. I loved him. The holdovers. The holdovers. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So did you watch that at home or you go to the theater watch to it watch at home. it? Yep. Oh, you can watch it at home. Sure. Oh, yeah. You got Pretty the technology quickly. for that now. We can watch movies at well, our own theaters. Yes. Well, maybe you can watch this one at home. I saw, again, this is one that I went to the theater. Maybe I'm the only guy going to the theater yeah. to watch these things. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard of the movie American Fiction? Yes. Yes. I think I just watched a trailer for that. It Tell stars me Jeffrey Wright. I don't know if you know who Jeffrey oh, Wright yes. is. He's great. Sterling Boardwalk K. Brown Empire. was incredible in this thing. Jeffrey Wright's Westworld, Boardwalk Empire. Okay, so you know who this guy is. Yes. Frustrated author who pens an outrageously stereotypical black book as a joke, and it catches fire yeah. and like becomes a bestseller. Yeah. Very well done. Okay. I think you'll find this movie very entertaining. It's very funny. Yeah, I watched the trailer for it as we record this. Like the, the day oh, that did? we record, yes. Because really? I was like, because I, I love him. Yeah. I was like, okay, it's been out for a while, here? though. It's probably available on some streaming service. Okay. And, I'm in. And this guy, Sterling K. Brown, I don't know if you know who he is. Not top my he head. steals the show as the brother. Okay. Uh, it, it's really funny. And you saw it in the theater. I saw it in the theater. Wow. Good yeah. for you. Oh, yeah. I'm going back to the theater. <laughs> Theaters are pretty sweet. I can't figure out how to watch a movie at home. <laughs> right. I've got a few television screens here, and I got a big screen, but I can't yeah. figure out how to put anything on. It's a good thing you built a theater. I don't know how to, <laughs> don't know know how to turn it on. <laughs> Fair enough. Conference championships are set. Yes. Are you excited? The Detroit Lions at San Francisco, and boy, the Chiefs come into Buffalo and beat the Bills. We've got the Chiefs and the Ravens in the AFC, Detroit at San Francisco in the NFC. Do you care? Sure, I'm rooting for Detroit. Not, not just because they're playing the Niners, who I can't say. But what a fun story that is, Dan right? Campbell. Was it, has it, what, 1993 was their last playoff win before I that? I think so. Yeah. Was, that, was that Wayne Fontes or Fo- it would be Fonts or whatever yeah, his name yeah, is? Yeah, we can go Fontes, but the I guy that used Fonts. to pull Barry Sanders at the goal line for some reason when I had him in fantasy. I think it was Wayne Fonts who once messed up the coin toss, like the <laughs> overtime coin toss on Thanksgiving Day, or really? sent this guy out. Yeah, by mistake they kicked off. <laughs> When it was the first team to score. Sudden death. It was you sudden death. First it there, team to score. Somehow they ended up kicking off at the beginning oh, that's, of overtime. That's hilarious. They messed up the coin. To, yeah, Wayne Fonts. Yeah. And that, that's a little bit of a doofus. That yeah. set the next 30 years for Detroit Lion football. But of bit. course I'm rooting for that. I'm excited. I, championship week. Yeah, of yeah. course. How about you? You're not... I was invested in the Green Bay Packers San Francisco 49ers game the other night. I don't know if you watched that. Yeah. The Packers had them in trouble they in did. San Francisco. Had them on the ropes. They had like. them the, and they let yeah. them off the hook. The 49ers go down the field and score. And then on that last possession, I don't know if you remember the interception that kind of ended the game. Yep. But I don't know what he Greenlaw was. was it maybe Greenlaw that intercepted it for the yeah, Niners? Yeah, it was one of the one of the linebackers. Maybe his second one of the day, but yeah. yeah. But Jordan, the, 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 what, what was confounding about it? They needed three. They were fine. Right. They were at the 35 or 40 yard line. They had like a minute, a minute and four. Maybe it was 58 seconds, whatever. They had timeouts. They were fine. And he got flushed out of the pocket and he rolled over to his right. And there was nothing there. And all he has to do is throw that ball away and it's second down. And he throws it back across the middle, like almost as if it was the last play of the game. Yeah. And he felt like, I've just got to throw this ball. Or like fourth and 11 or something. And we got it. And it was pick. totally the They were yeah. fine. They were fine. They could have gone down and kicked a field goal. Wasn't necessary. Awesome. Oh, but totally unnecessary. He's a young guy, and that's something he'll I guess, add to his repertoire going forward. How to can manage games. And I was a little annoyed by that. He looks good though, doesn't he? Well, he's going to get a big contract this week. They're saying really like a huge contract. When was the last time the Packers had a quarterback problem? I thought they did at the beginning of this year. <laughs> I didn't think that. It must be nice, right? I mean, who was the quarterback before Favre? 
Don Mikowski? I don't even remember. Yes, like, it was very good. Was it him, though? Yes, it was Don Mikowski. And then, and then right into Favre? Right into Favre. But Mikowski was a Pro Bowler, I think, maybe a year yeah, or two. He was decent. Good. Okay, but from the Favre magic till man now, out of Virginia. He wasn't very magical, but it. He was the magic man. But he had MAJ in it his was, name. But, yes, he did. It was Mikowski to Favre, Favre to Rodgers, and now it's Rodgers to Love. I don't know that I'm completely sold on love okay. he had a good year yeah especially the last half of the year he's really good yeah yeah he's gonna get a big contract gonna Man. be their franchise quarterback but we'll see and then the other thing that i would bring up before you go on on uh, the other stuff segment the jared kelnick interview can we talk about that for a second yeah i didn't see that no no tell me he went on some cockamamie national television show on i think uh mlb network okay and he threw jerry depoto under the bus he did his Interviews, Jerry DePoto's interviews brought distractions to the clubhouse. Hmm. What do you think? I think he's a sniveling, entitled, pampered brat. Okay. That's my opinion about Jared Kelnick. Yeah. Yeah. And and oh, by the way, just a couple of facts to clarify to, to clean this up. <laughs> yeah. I hate being in the role of like, I'm going to become Jerry DePoto's apologist now. Yeah, right. I'm not in the bag for Jerry DePoto either. But I think we need to clear a couple of things up. Okay. The 54% comment that is extra noise and extra distractions for the clubhouse is really a distraction to the baseball team. That actually came after the season was over. Oh. They had already missed the playoffs. <laughs> nice. That's the first thing. Okay. Um, the second thing is, this is coming from the guy who displayed his massive immaturity by kicking a water bucket after he struck out and breaking his foot. Yeah therefore becoming unavailable to his team that was in the middle of a divisional race or a wild card race. Some right? would call that a distraction. Some would call that yeah. noise. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the guy who's complaining about Jerry DePoto. Yeah. And one other thing I would just bring up about the left fielder, Jared Koenig. They were 50 and 55 when he played before the water cooler incident, and they were 38 and 19 when he was sitting out with a broken foot. We talked about that, and it doesn't make sense, but... That's the way it went. I know. It felt weird. They went on that tear as soon as he kicks the water cooler and he's out. And so, so now weird. he's on the Braves going on TV and saying that it's the general manager's remarks that became a lot of noise and a lot of distraction for us Seattle Mariners. And one of the comments that he quoted actually happened after the season was over. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we all got that straight. The other stuff segment is yours now if you'd like to throw a couple of couple of stories in there. I don't know if you knew about 92-year-old Larry Merchant being rushed to the emergency room just I, days before Christmas. Did you read that story? I am. I'm aware of it, yeah. Larry Big. Merchant was a, at one time, a fairly regular guest on Mitch in the Morning and KJR, yes. Big fan of myself. Loved him. Love him, yeah. Loved him. Well, Larry himself says he's on the mend. <laughs> he's, he's fine. He's getting Good. better. He was diagnosed with vertigo, but after receiving treatment, he was sprung from the hospital after just a few days, and he's recovering at home. Loved him. It looked bleak. He's 92. He's getting rushed to the hospital. But he says he's back. He can't knock me down. I'm so, right there with you. I know. I love Larry Merchant. I was so happy to see that. <laughs> Larry Merchant on HBO Boxing. <laughs> it's so great, man. This was the tale of two heavyweights. <laughs> His delivery oh. was like that of a writer, not that of a boxing broadcaster. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He was but, great. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Snoop Dogg says OnlyFans recently came a knocking with a crazy ass $100 million offer to show off the family jewels. Snoop Dogg? Yes, is claiming that OnlyFans is offering him $100 million to show his penis. That's correct. But his wife says she's not quite ready to share the Franken beans oh, with the public. I thought you were going to say she's not quite ready to see it. 
She probably has it. They've been together 27 years. Probably, it's probably been a while, but yes, Why not even only, for nine figures. Does only, I, I, can we stop for a second? You need to break down the business model of how yeah, this yeah, works. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> First of all, I'm going to assume that OnlyFans is mostly geared towards men than it is women. Yeah, I would, I would bet you that if you surveyed their universe of audience, that it's much more heavily tilted male than it is female. That makes sense, okay. yes. Okay. What percentage of that heavily tilted male audience wants to see Snoop Dogg's wiener? Not curious at all? No. Not only see it, but you'd have to pay, I'm guessing. You'd be behind yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a paywall. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if it's just you can just yeah. Google it. You don't think I, OnlyFans is going to get their money back. Is no, no, no. I, I, haven't finished my, okay. I haven't finished my analysis yet. What percentage of the men who are down. the audience of OnlyFans yeah. want to see, want to pay to see Snoop Dogg's penis? What percent? My, I don't my know. guess is it's very small. Now let's oh, move I over. Oh, I bet to, it's not small. No, no, no. Oh, the, the percentage. Okay, gotcha. Go ahead. <laughs> Go on. Okay. Yeah, I'm listening. Now I ask the same question about the women in the audience. Maybe yep. I'm out of touch, like Hall and Oates yeah. would say. What percentage of the women want to pay a lot of money to see Snoop Dogg's penis? Yeah, I, I don't know how the business model works on something think, like this. I don't think they're getting their money back. Let's not forget about gay men. Gay men might be down. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how big a percentage that is on OnlyFans either. Okay. I don't know. And by the way, have we gotten confirmation that from OnlyFans that they want to pay him that much money to show his family jewels. It's just from Snoop himself. Okay. I don't know why he would lie about this. He does I do. smoke a lot of weed. So. I do. <laughs> I know why. He would oh, lie. God. It would be okay. kind of crazy. If it was $10 to log on to see that. I you might, would do it. I might have to see. I don't know what's that. To see what all the. I don't know. If everyone's looking. If you paid me $10. <laughs> Well, the thing is, too, as soon as it's on there, someone will just copy the picture and post it for free anyway. So. I'll give you the answer. You give me the question. Okay. Phil Mickelson in 1991 in Tucson. That's the answer. You give me the question. Da, 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 da. What year did da, da, Phil Mickelson da, da. win the national championship in college? Very good. Not right, but okay. pretty close. Try again. Phil Mickelson, 1991 in Tucson. Da, 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 da. I don't know. The question is, the last time that an amateur golfer won a PGA Tour event. Oh, interesting. 1991, Arizona State left-hander Phil Mickelson. Yeah. He put the thing over his head. It was his first. I thought you were going to say, what was his first title? That would have been correct. Okay. He won as an amateur in 1991. How many years is that? This weekend, first time since. Nick Dunlap, roll tide. Oh, jeez. To the we University can't get away of, from him. God. The University of Alabama. Oh, True story. 20-year-old Nick Dunlap, I think junior, maybe sophomore at Alabama. Wow. Won the old Bob Hope Desert Classic oh, on the PGA Tour. Wow, that's How impressive. About that? that is first really impressive. amateur to win on the PGA Tour since Phil Mickelson, 1991 in Tucson. You want Here's another bit quick, of trivia? Quick golf story. You see sure. the golf fan that had to get himself a new drink at the PGA Tour event? No. And it's all because one of his one of the pros hit his approach shot right into it his right effing cup, cup. Right at the cup. It was unbelievable. The hole in one. It happened at the American Express tournament in La Quinta, California, when Adam Shank. By the way, yes. It's La Quinta, California. 
It's not pronounced La Quinta? I don't think it's La Quinta. Okay. And that's the old Bob Hope Desert Classic. That it's Nick, the same one? Yes, that Nick Dunlap <laughs> just won. Well, Adam Shank was attempting to hit one of his first round And he shots. shanked it. <laughs> it's crazy that that's his name. Like, I had to read the story again to see if I was being put it's on. Actually like, very good, right yes. <laughs> on the 16th hole, he yes. pushed it to the right. And yes. He came crashing down into a guy's cup. And yes. He was holding it stunned, the spectators. Like some old guy just standing there with a, a ball. But the more shocking thing was that Shank fished the ball out of the dude's cup and birdied the hole. Did he really? He birdied the he hole. Made a birdie. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool thing. Yeah. Do you care who's singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl? I sure do. Reba McIntyre. Oh, I like Reba McIntyre. Oh, you do? Oh, sure. What does yeah. that do for you? Reba McIntyre? That's something for me. For the anthem? Like, if you told me she was the halftime performer, right. I might yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Ah. But yeah, national anthem, okay. country national. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in on Reba McIntyre. All right. The league yeah. also announced that Post Malone will sing America the Beautiful just before the country music legend takes the stage okay. on Sunday. Who's a halftime show? We talked about this. Isn't it Usher or no? Yeah, it is Usher in is Las that right? Vegas. Yeah, it's Usher okay. in Las Vegas. Jane Seymour, you familiar with her? Yep. Sex has never been better than at 70. <laughs> That's the story you have, too. We both have I don't have one. it on here, but I saw oh, it. Oh, do I need it? Do I need to hear that? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, she's 72 years old and says that. You do. She's having the best sex of her life with her boyfriend and blasting assumptions that getting down ends after a certain age. The former Bond girl says things between the sheets are more passionate than ever. Remember, because it's built on trust, love, and experience now. Unlike having sex first and getting to know someone after the way younger generations <laughs> have been doing it for a long time. She also joked that it's awesome because she can't get pregnant as well. And Snoop Dogg is the boyfriend. <laughs> and she all pays $10 every time she sees his penis. Full circle. All right. Yeah. RIPs? No, I've got a couple more. Oh, go. I'll give you the name. You tell me what he's accomplished. Tight end Cam McCormick. <laughs> I don't know. University of Miami. He's 25 years old, and he was just granted a ninth year of eligibility. Holy crap. Ninth year? He began at Oregon yeah. when Obama was the president. <laughs> Holy crap. He was in the same recruiting class as Justin Herbert, who's been in the NFL for like four years, <laughs> right. signing big contracts. Amazing. But he's missed lots of time due to injuries. He's the University of Miami tight end. He applied to the NCAA for one more year. Ninth year wow. of eligibility granted for ten, uh, for Cam McCormick. I'm not hating on him. Good for him. Who yeah. the hell wants to go to the real world? Enjoy college some more. And one more, which I'm actually surprised you didn't bring up. A grand jury indicted Alec Baldwin this week. Yeah, I saw that. On that uh, involuntary manslaughter charge, 2021, fatal shooting on that set <sighs> of the movie in New Mexico. If found guilty, I guess up to 18 months in jail. So that's been... That uh, criminal case has been resuscitated because they found out some new information about the, the gun that killed the stagehand on that motion picture set. How so, do real guns make it onto the set stupid. of a fucking movie? Stupid. It's, we're, hey, everyone, we're putting on makeup and costumes. We're playing make-believe. We don't need real guns. How does Brandon Lee, that happened to him, you know, Bruce Lee's kid? I was just looking up some random singer in the movie Better Off Dead. She was dating some model guy in the eight. Happened to him on a set. He was like 27 or something. How does that just work? Just one of those things in life that... I know. You can, <laughs> How does that work? You could try to explain it all you want. I know. It's never going to come out right. The weirdest thing yeah, There's ever. never going to be an explanation no. that rationalizes that. No. I've got some RIPs. You go RIPs first. I, I, my guess is you don't have that one. You don't have that one. There's a 50%. I have three, and there's a 50% chance that you have one of the three that I have. 
Actress so. Lynn Marta, best no. known for her film roles in Footloose and Joe Kidd, has passed away. Okay. Born in New Jersey, moved to Hollywood to pursue a, a career in acting. She landed the role in the 1972 Western classic Joe Kidd, starring Clint Eastwood and Where Robert Duvall. they used Duvall. real guns. That's for some reason. <laughs> they, I don't know why. But she also played Lulu Warnocker alongside Kevin Bacon in 1984's Footloose. Very good. It's uh, Ren's aunt. Very if good. If you want to know Ren's aunt, his mother's sister, if okay. you, for those who okay. love the movie. Okay. I feel like all, a lot of these actresses, if you just say they worked in TV in the 80s, in the 70s. You could just name the shows off the top of your head, right? Because they're all in all Just pick shows. one. The Mod Squad, yeah. Starsky and Hutch, Charlie. She was yeah. in all of them. Yeah. But he, here's a weird full circle. Her personal life was sort of tied to her day job being on Starsky and Hutch. She reportedly had an open relationship with David Soul. Oh, geez. We while, just talked to him. He, <laughs> he just was, died. I know. Well, he was married to Karen Carlson. So oh there you God. go. Full circle on the RIPs. Rest in peace to her. Okay. Pole vaulter Sean Barber. You see nope, this one? Don't have that one. Three-time NCAA champion, also competed in the Olympics, passed away. Okay. Is, uh, made the devastating announcement on social media calling Barber a friend that will never be forgot forgotten. Yeah. Uh, while he was at the University of Akron, he won back-to-back -back NCAA indoor championships in 2014 and 15. Got it. Placed first in the world championships. Great pole vaulter. Okay. Cause of He's death no Sergei Bubka, but he go ahead. 29 years old. Oh, yeah, That's a little, little young. So Sergei Bubka. Was he a pole vaulter or was he a high jumper? Sergey, I remember Sergei the name. Sergey Bubka was I, always the best. At pole vaulting? At one of them. He's no Bob Richards. <laughs> Todd, <laughs> I don't you know. know. I don't know who Bob Richards you is. You don't really? No. I, I think he might have been the first guy ever on the Wheaties box. Pole vaulter. You don't know Bob. Where have you been? Where were you Sergei in the 40s? Sergey Bubka, I think, was the all-time record holder for the longest time. I don't think Bob Richards was that okay. good. Okay. Anyway, okay. so rest in peace to okay. Sean Barber. Yeah. Marlena Shaw, best known for her song, California Soul. You'd probably know it if you heard God, it. You just never get the sports ones, do you? Go ahead. I just did a pole vaulter, yeah, the three-time NCAA that champion. Count. That's not sports. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a stirring tribute to him. Uh -huh. Well, I have a sports one, but I'm going to leave it for you because I'm sure you have it. The assistant coach, the Warriors. No, I didn't put him down, but I saw that. That's tragic. That's actually so tragic that... Really? Too fresh? Too uh, 46? That, that's horrible. Yeah. Died of a heart, heart attack like a team dinner. In Salt Lake, yeah. Oh, my God. 46 years old. We should probably say his yeah. name at some point uh, so everyone knows who we're name? talking about. Dehan Malojevic. Okay. He passed away. He was an assistant coach, but he, he also played overseas forever. He was... Won an, yeah. won an NBA championship in 2022 okay. with the Warriors. That one's super sad. All right. You want my um, three? Yes, go. Bud Harrelson. Buddy Harrelson. Do you remember Buddy Harrelson? Buddy Harrelson sounds yeah, familiar. Yeah, the scrappy shortstop, defensive shortstop of the Mets back in the 60s and 70s. He was a part of the 69 Miracle Mets team. Died okay. at age 79. 16 years in the big leagues from 65 to 80. The first 13 seasons with the Mets. And he's most known for... Okay. What they used to call, I don't think they call it anymore, the most famous fight in baseball history. They used to call okay. it. I guess during the 1973 uh, National League Championship Series with those great Reds teams, the Mets and the Reds oh, were facing off. Like the off. Johnny Bench Reds? Yeah, the that, yeah. Pete Rose Reds. Red, yeah, yeah. He made a comment that people didn't like. Okay. And then Pete Rose went hard to try to break up a double play into the shortstop, and yeah. they ended up throwing haymakers. Oh, and boy. It was the National League Championship Series game. They almost postponed it. They almost stopped the game entirely wow. because the fans were throwing things out of the – so they had to ask Tom Seaver and Willie Mays, both who were on the Mets team at the time, to ask them to settle down the crowd. Jeez. And if they weren't able to settle down the crowd, they were going to cancel the game. So I think Seaver and Mays went out there and tried to settle them. I got to go YouTube this now. That sounds amazing. <laughs> That's right up my alley. <laughs> uh, Bud Harrelson was 79 years old. Norm Sneed was an NFL quarterback for 16 years in the 60s and 70s, four-time pro bowler. 
Uh, gone at the age of 84. He was the second overall pick in the 1961 NFL draft by Washington. And then he was traded to Philadelphia so that Washington can get a hold of their ultimate franchise quarterback, Sonny Jurgensen. Oh, wow. Norm Snead passes away at the age of 84. And Tom Shales, know the name? Pulitzer Prize winning television critic for the Washington Post. Yeah, Tom Shales yeah, yeah, yeah. spent nearly 40 years in the newspaper, passed away at the age of 79 at a hospital in Fairfax County, Virginia, from complications due to COVID-19 mm. and renal failure. And with that, a perfect segue. Yes. To some headlines. An airline passenger got trapped in the lavatory for nearly the entire flight. That's why you got to be really careful when booking your flights. Make sure you select business class, not do your business class. A boss has uh, made... You can only go up from there. A boss has made... You wait. <laughs> I, I come at you soft with the uh, G ones, you know. A boss has made masturbation breaks in the office a permanent policy for oh. her staff. Uh-huh. I hate to break it to her, but we've had that policy for a long time. Uh, we call it working from home. Better. A Missouri Catholic priest was found guilty by the church for soliciting sex from an adult during a confession, church officials announced. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Yeah, yeah, so well, what are you wearing? Hey, at least it was an adult this time and not a kid, for God's sakes. And finally, oh. a New Zealand couple successfully demanded a refund from an airline after claiming they sat in a passenger's urine for a lengthy 10-hour flight. Oh. Not exactly what they had in mind by getting caught in the jet stream. Are we back down? Are we back? Is the plane... Better. Thank you so the much. The first one was not very good, but... Really? I'll have you know that I, I listened... In honor of you, do your business. I listened today yeah. to Norm McDonald tell a Bill Cosby story. Oh, with it about his dad? Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. The way he tells it is very funny. I mean, I don't know. Tells, it, only, it only takes about fifteen minutes for him to tell yeah, the story. Right, that's how he does most of his jokes. Episode too. Scranton, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Hello, episode two hundred and seventy-two is in the books. 